everybody. Welcome back to the podcast. Today we got episode number 24. This is a conversation between me and Hidea Zadi, also known as Kiara. We talk about snake poison, curing cancer, living in Iran, uh, religion, family, and male-female relationship dynamics, and among many other things. Um, this was a really solid conversation. Let me know if you find anything interesting. Kind of informally started, but if you, if just a more formally, will you tell everybody who you are, your name, maybe credentials you have or you're going for, and different things like that? Absolutely, absolutely. So my name is uh, Hedia Zahedi. I go by Kiara. Hmm. Um, I am 21 years old, and I'm an undergraduate student at Colorado State University. So um, when I do graduate, I'm a zoology major, and when I do graduate, I'm planning on uh, doing a graduate program for toxicology, uh, ideally in Australia, but we'll see. We'll see what happens. We'll see where my plan takes me. I'm leaving things open. Um, but yeah, I'm in my, I'm going into my third year right now. So I'm very, I'm very, I'm very excited for <laughs> what the next 25 years has for me. Okay. So you're still working on your bachelor's. Yes, yeah, sir. Yeah. But you're working though. It seems I, like. Yeah. Are you working in your field? Yeah. Well, it's it is. I'm working in the sciences, so I'm working actually with the university at the horticulture center. Um, we're running a couple of experiments on certain plant taxa and their responses to different conditions. So, one of the projects that I have working on is uh, it's like a chilling experiment. So we're basically trying to see if this particular plant taxa, if we can suppress the blooming period of the plant so that it keeps reproducing more cuttings. And the the point of that is to see if we can transplant that information for proprietors, people who are selling these plants in order to meet demand. So hmm. yes, I am working in sciences. I'm working with mammals currently also. Um, over the summer and I'm um, doing a lot of my own independent research as well. So. What, what is your independent stuff? So <laughs> <laughs> that gets me curious. Yeah. So the project that I am interested in at the moment is uh, related to snake toxins and snake venoms. Okay. Um, I am basically, I'm trying to figure out what the potential is for snake venoms to cure or treat cancer in the future. Mm. So the application of snake venoms in the medical field in the next 25 years is, I think, an interesting prospect. Unfortunately, these things tend to kind of crash and burn in clinical trials, at least from what I've heard. But it looks like there is a class of snake venom proteins that are found in a bunch of different species which have anti-tumor properties. So um, if you're familiar with cell receptors and <clears throat> the way cells communicate with each other and yeah. with you know their, their internals and everything. So, so each cell is basically covered in all of these receptors and each receptor is receptive to a certain uh, like protein or a specific type of chemical Co combination of molecules right yes yes and uh so the way snake venom often works is they're not a mix of 
different chemicals like you would imagine in a lethal injection say it's more like the the majority of snake venom's dry weight is made up of a bunch of active peptides and proteins that all do work within the body to basically annihilate (laughs) everything in their path so Hmm. um some of these classes of proteins can target specific cells and that's why scientists are interested in them right now because they have the potential to cancer to to um to bind to only cancer cells specifically and yeah. leave normal cells alone the research on it right now is very little and it's only mm-hmm. there are very few actual snakes that are that are involved in the research like colubrids aren't really researched as much um colubrids are snakes that have like fixed fixed fangs Hmm. in the back as opposed to vipers and and elapids or sorry elapids have the fixed fangs vipers and um like rattlesnakes they have these fangs that retract Hmm. so um but snake venom is used in medicine plenty of fda approved uh drugs actually use snake venoms like what like um i don't know the names of all of them because they're complicated complex but um they're used for blood thinners Mm. anti-thrombal agents some of them are used to suppress symptoms of diabetes uh stuff like that it's mostly related to blood and stuff like that so so um that is what's really interesting me right now i'm basically at the tip the very tip of the research portion of it so i can come come to you with more mm-hmm. uh, later on when i'm more red but this mm-hmm. is just like my brand new topic that i'm that i'm like <laughs> investing so much of my free time in. yeah right now. <laughs> yeah would you say that the field is under research right now i would definitely say so yeah mostly because it's difficult to the snake venom is really biodiverse but it is not very bioavailable there are lots of taxa species that are dying out unfortunately and also no two snakes will have the same exact composition of venom regardless of their species even even snakes within their own species can have like a different composition based on what they eat and and you know how they Mm. are it's just it's a little bit unstable and kind of up in the air with the way that we understand it at the moment Mm. and it seems like it's more variable too very variable. yeah yeah Yeah. that's interesting (laughs) that makes it tricky because you'd have to almost find it under perfect circumstances and also find it not eradicated and present i guess is what i'm trying to say as well right yeah so and is it more likely to find this in the wild or do you think that this would be found in lab settings? Lab settings for sure. Because we can, because con- within the lab you can control, you yeah. know, the diet of the snakes and, and what yeah. their, the husbandry of them is. You can, you're more familiar with the, the, the species and the individuals that you have. All of the snake venom that has been collected for the trials that, that for the research that is available have mm-hmm. been collected from uh, captive, captive bred venomous snakes yeah yeah because what like there's been crazy medical advancements from like molds and um what was the other one do you know much about those 
those type of th i know like the big there's like the big three i think one of them is like penicillin where Ooh. it was discovered through mold i think that one was discovered through mold i heard something like that yes and i'm not as familiar with that okay i'm only in like the animals yeah <laughs> zoology major yeah. and all that <laughs> well is there things like that from animals that we've found yeah Could lots of vaccines of course vaccines from bovine and pigs mm. we get a lot of uh a lot of that i know is that from that or tested on them though it is both okay okay um albumin i think is the stuff that is utilized from bovine i don't know exactly how it works with them the mammal with the mammals right now but I know with snakes, it's just they, it's only their venom that we're pulling from right now. And it's only mostly used for blood studies, hmm. how, how, how yeah. it affects human. Because interestingly enough, you, have you ever seen that viral video of like what rattlesnake venom does to human blood? No. They take like a shot glass of, of venom, and, mm. and like a little bit of it, and, and they pour it into some lamb blood or whatever. Danke. They pour it into some lamb blood and shake it around, and the whole thing coagulates, becomes one big little jelly shot. Oh. And So it's a thickener. Yeah, it's a coagulant. So oh, it'll. Okay. So um, there are a bunch of different effects that that it can have but there are like hemotoxic effects mm -hmm. um that some proteins can have where the blood cells will basically just die it'll just die and then there's the coagulant effects that other proteins will have where it'll make the blood clot so it'll, it'll your heart won't be able to pump all the blood throughout your body at once anymore the scariest ones for me are like the neurotoxic effects mm. because um do you know how so we were talking about cell receptors nervous mm -hmm. cell receptors uh are receptive to a particular protein that will send a signal um for the cell to basically have the muscles tighten up and then release and the muscles release when that molecule disintegrates now this amino acidase this this specific molecule that snake venom produces will bind to the receptor, but it won't disintegrate. Mm. So it basically makes that uh, nervous uh, response innate. It keeps your muscles from working. Mm. And so that's where the paralysis effect comes Is from. Is there any way getting a... Getting a getting rid of that like does it eventually dis disintegrate our body uh, as far as i know eventually metabolizes it mm. um if it just takes a long time if we're in a state of hyperimmunity, we can but the problem is is that if it gets to your heart you know mm. and it can keep your heart from pumping and that's yeah. what kills you heart gotcha. failure kidney failure yeah. all of that stuff can yeah happen. some people have been talking about uh like a vaccine for snake venoms which I I know that's been kind of the talk of the snake community for a little while, but I feel like it might be a little bit of a lost cause. <laughs> <laughs> With the state of things? Is that what you're referring to? I think it's right just, now? I no, I think it's just, it's impractical because mm. like I said, no two snakes have 
alike venom composition. Mm. And between species, you're going to need to have a completely different vaccine for one snake species as opposed to another. Yeah. So you would have to have a vaccine that basically would put you in a state of hyperimmunity, which comes with its own side effects. Yeah. And that can only last about two months before you'd have to get another one and mm. another one. And not to mention, like... It, the damage to your arm that that would make and it, it would just be it's just not worth it it would mm -hmm. be expensive and not enough people actually die from snake venom to make that a priority even yeah. in even in places like india and asia although it is interesting how some mammals some small mammals and uh, mustel mustelids do uh they do they do have a natural immunity like hedgehogs have a natural immunity, honey badgers have a natural immunity. Mm. Basically, for the same reason as as us, their body can metabolize that venom really, really quickly because they are constantly in that state of hyperimmunity. Yeah, because snakes are one of their natural predators. Yeah, but it's like specialized hyperimmunity, right? As because they probably know. have other diseases. Yeah. Right. Yes. Yes. That, that can get them, but for that one particular thing, they can with handle or handle high amounts of poison from certain snakes right yeah exactly like honey badgers can take cobra venom bites mm. but they'll basically fall asleep <laughs> for like 20 <laughs> minutes and then wake back up and beat the shit out of the snake <laughs> they're they're savage animals yeah yeah very interested in honey badgers but you mentioned diseases and it, it brought me to another thought uh l last week me and a group of bi other biology undergraduates and some graduate students we were trapping uh bats okay and mice down in larkspur colorado okay at the uh at a ranch and so some of the bats that we were catching we caught maybe like at least 16 i think so we'd set up the nets at night and then we'd have people manning the nets and then have walkie talkies hey there's a, a bat in net five and mm. net two whatever mm -hmm. and um, when we would take them back to the little headquarters that we set up, we w would test for, we would get a couple of samples from each of them. One of those samples was a wing swab that we would take, that we were testing for this disease called white nose. It's white nose virus. It's a fungus, it's a fungal-based virus that completely decimates brown bat populations mm. in North America. It's uh, it's called white nose because it late stages of the virus, the bats get this really, you know, fuzzy kind of molds on their on their nose. But the real damage is done to their wings. So if you look on a, a bat's wing that has that is inflicted with this virus, you'll see that there's a bunch of lesions and and scrapes and holes in the in the wing. What kills them is the doesn't actually doesn't actually kill them in the sort of straightforward way that you would imagine. But um, this virus, since it's fungus-based, it is an invasive disease as well. It was brought over in 2006 to New York, I believe, mm. from somewhere in Europe. And so, what'll happen is the, the bats that are inflicted with it will be woken up early from hibernation kills mm -hmm. them during the winter time 
So during the winter, the bats will be hiding out in their in the caves, you know, sleeping, hibernating until winter time. Those who have this disease will wake up early, and they'll fly out and look for food. There's no bugs in winter. So they'll waste all their energy, starve, and die. And it's like a close to 100% fatality rate. What is the mechanism them. they get woken up by from the fungus? I'm, my guess is that it's just the, ir- the irritation okay. from the eating away at their their okay. wings and stuff that's my best guess okay. i don't know for sure it's not like hormonal or neurological or anything like that that's possible although i i don't think i don't know if there's a record of them having actual behavioral changes in addition to other than waking up other than though, waking up yeah which is a behavior it is a behavior yes but it it, it could be it could just be as much as like, oh, this hurts, so yeah. I need to go move around yeah. and eat. Yeah, I don't know for sure. <laughs> That's interesting because that makes me think of the. Um, it's been a long time since I've thought about this. Um, it's a type of, I believe, parasite that first is in mice and rats or rodents and um, sabotages the risk-taking be- mechanisms within the brain. Uh-huh. Um, so that they're more likely to be captured by cats. And then once they're eaten, they're in the cat's stomach, which is where they like to start laying eggs. Oh. And um, that's kind of the cycle because then the eggs are pooped out and then mice and rats usually tread on the poop or even get into it. And then that's kind of the cycle of this particular parasite on how it likes to live. Um, but what's There's in- a term for that kind of life. I mean, it's parasitic, but it's mm-hmm. like malaria is kind of the same way oh really yeah malaria okay. it's uh it's mosquito life cycle they well they they they, mm. li- they live in the mosquitoes and the mosquitoes come and bite you mm. then you have malaria and all of your blood explodes <laughs> and <laughs> and then uh when you eventually recover the mosquito comes back and picks up the malaria and you're good mm. it's a life cycle of malaria it's yeah. very strange um what they've observed with this parasite in house cats is that owners are more likely to take risk-taking behaviors as well. The owners? Yeah. Really? So it's a weird thing where like we don't have cats to get eaten by, but there's some sort of neurological sabotage that's at play with them because they definitely do it to mice. And mice might be more of a simple organism, so to speak, that then they get captured by cats. Mm -hmm. But then cats that have this within households have higher risk-taking behavior. That's been observed. And I remember automotive crashes were cited, which is weird. That makes a kind of a little bit of sense. If you think about the crazy cat lady (laughs) (laughs) joke, that puts a lot of things into perspective, doesn't it? Yeah, but it's weird (laughs) that it can affect your neurological stance at all. Like it makes you more risk-taking. Even a little bit, you know, it's crazy that there's a parasite that comes from mice to cats to people. And will affect you in that way. That's you extremely know? frightening. Yeah, when you think of zombies. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Of well, there's also that bug or that parasite that makes like zombie bees, right? Or zombie wasps. Oh, isn't that a thing? I I I'm only familiar with the chronic wasting disease we've seen in deer mm. in Wyoming and Colorado. Are you familiar with that? I've heard of it. I have. Okay, I've heard a little bit about that. Bees are such a complex. <laughs> organism and they they work in such strange incredible ways when they're in a team but but um do you know a lot about the chronic wasting 
the chronic not a lot but i i know it is it's similar to like the mad cow disease it's a prion so it's uh it affects the brain and mm. and all of all of that fun stuff so <laughs> i think it's in a the same a similar class as um like mad cow disease and maybe even rabies rabies is another freaky fucking disease <laughs> <laughs> that might be one of the scariest ways i've seen people perish is mm. rabies what how do they perish from it so the thing about rabies is that usually people will die of dehydration before they die of the actual disease because mm. one of the early symptoms of the disease is that when you try to swallow, you will have muscle spasms in your throat. So oh, I've heard of that. Actually, people will get deathly afraid. What was of the water. reason for that? It's this just doesn't... so the so rabies is a is a prion like the the others, and it basically will travel up your nervous system into your brain, and it'll affect your behavior that way. Hmm. It'll just cause weird muscle spasms in your throat and in your throat muscles, and lots of neck pain and head pain and, yeah. and jaw pain, pain in general yeah. agony it's awful <laughs> but um it'll it'll sign cause, me up i know <laughs> <laughs> um <laughs> it's so scary <laughs> it, it, so people when you see them in um a lot of the footage that i see is from india and a mm. asia and stuff and when i was in iran there's actually it's Iran is such a red zone for rabies that it's like there's a colloquial term for it. Is that why is that? Because um, there's a lot of dogs that oh. live in Iran and in India and strays. obviously strays. They don't get vaccinated. They don't get neutered. Yeah. So they're just running around infecting each other and infecting people. And uh, it's a really big problem in rural communities, especially in Iran. Because all the farmers, you know, they have dogs everywhere. Mm -hmm. And the dogs will often, you know, you'll see them. Usually you can identify a farmer's dog by the fact that they have clipped tails and clipped ears. And they they can be, they can be victimized <coughs> uh, by other rabid animals. And it's a much bigger problem in India. Mm. It, it kills a lot of people in India. Um, in the United States, luckily were it's very rare to see a rabies case but if you do get if you are in the colorado wilderness and you do get bitten by an animal for no reason go to the hospital mm -hmm. tell them i may have been exposed to rabies mm -hmm. they'll give you a post-exposure shot wait 12 days another one and then i think there's a third one as well and you should be just fine do not wait for symptoms to show up otherwise you're fucked <laughs> <laughs> like if symptoms show up you're done for sounds fun lots of fun <laughs> yes like you said sign me up yeah right? <laughs> with um cancer i know with the uh, uh use of the treatment chemotherapy it's been stated to me that's really interesting that um in a sense uh you it's an attempt to poison the cancer before you poison the person precisely right yeah. which is what came up in my brain when you were talking about using snake poison so to speak right mm-hmm is do you think that's it'd be similar to chemotherapy in the sense where you might use a um watered down dosage in the sense that hopefully it targets the the cells but it probably will target other ones as well and hopefully it kills 
cancer before it kills a person. That appears to be what we see in uh, in in the research that is available right now. Is that it does snake venom disintegrants disintegrins sorry mm. is what the particular class that i'm looking at right now that's what they do so they're integrin receptors they're just called integrin receptors and then dis disintegrins are the antagonist of the integrins um so they will basically block up the receptors and keep cells from communicating with each other they can cause just cell death to begin with um if you isolate the disintegrins, though, from the snake venom, uh, for reasons that I have yet to articulate, they have a greater effect on the cancer cells themselves than they do to your cells. Hmm. Um, I'm not sure why exactly yet, but um, the idea is that so, uh, snake venom does a fine job of killing cancer cells it also does a fine job of killing healthy very healthy cells yeah. but uh some of the components that can be isolated could possibly be used yeah. to target cancer cells we're not that far in in, yeah. in the the science to know exactly what needs to be done i mm -hmm. think but when you like i said when you isolate disintegrins from the snake venom itself it it, it leads to a much nicer quote-unquote, nicer cell death than the snake venom itself. Mm. Chemotherapy is awful. Like, mm -hmm. the, sim the symptoms are, they suck. Yeah, um, yeah. It wreaks havoc on, on your body. And snake venom on its own would do, would do that as well. Disintegrins, though, may have fewer side effects potentially yeah. than, than using chemotherapy or snake yeah. venom itself. We don't know yet. Is there a thought to a necessity of some sort of what am I trying to say? Genetic engineering with the snake venom with that. Is that viable with what you're dealing with, with the poisons? It's. Would that be possible? helpful? It's possible. I don't, I think we would have to first, I think scientists would first have to understand what exactly. I think they'd have to understand exactly like what, part of the treatment is effective before they can go on messing yeah. with what should they emphasize of it of the poison right what mm -hmm. part of it is needed yeah right yes where even you could maybe somehow genetically create or modify a breed a breed of snakes that maybe produce the venom itself right maybe it doesn't start at the that level it starts at the or even, you know, it's just fun to kind of think about this. Like you genetically engineer some type of mice that feeds the diet, right? So that it, the poison is created oh, in a sense. Like yeah. that's where my head goes of like. I see that like decades into the future. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that there is, there is still so much that, that needs to be researched before. I think we can, we can think about uh, messing with their physiology, but. But yeah, maybe I know I <laughs> you never you never say never. Mm -hmm. Nothing is impossible. Honestly, they've done very interesting work. Well, this true. this makes me think like some people go to the route like designer babies and genetically altered or engineered people. Frightening. Which is frightening <laughs> and it should be. 
what is almost more approachable in my brain is like, uh, I know there's a big um, backlash with genetically modified foods. Mm-hmm. But if we were to, if society was taking steps towards that, it seems to me that having your meats step. altered in some sense or whether there's more nutrients within a, a beef patty or whatever that means, right? Whether there's mice we've generated for snakes that maybe it bites you and you have no cancer, right? <laughs> <laughs> Which would right. be maybe we don't need it to bite you. We, we'll fix that. The in ideal a situation, yeah. But um, different things like that. Maybe they have little syringes as teeth. And <laughs> that would be pretty, that would be horrifying. Yeah. Could you imagine you have cancer <laughs> and your treatment option is, hey, let's get this snake that has like hypodermic needles for teeth, <laughs> comes along and bites you, and you'll be all. Better. You'll be better. Kids have cancer. You know that, right? Yeah, I do. <laughs> That'll sell that to them. <laughs> I'm very well familiar with that. Um, yeah. <laughs> but it'd be better than death with some versions of cancer. This is true. But what would be even better <laughs> is maybe something we can just distill into or like our own. A Flintstones gummy that you could that'd take. That'd be nice. That would be really that'd nice. Be, that'd be centuries maybe down the road, right? I would imagine. Yeah. yeah something oral like that oh god um let me ask you this i think that a lot of the medical advancements have been really great to me there's a really tricky balance between maintaining those but then also just promoting living as hard as you can to not need those until it is necessary does that make sense because i think there's like another camp of the home remedy types, so to speak. Oh, holistic types. Yeah, yeah. holistic types. That it's some people would go as far as everything we need is from within. Uh, uh-huh. You know, that's I think that's maybe the extremism as uh, we need all these different supplements and needles and vaccines and um, all these different things to continue in our society, right? Because mm-hmm. there's a tricky balance between those things. Yeah, there is. What do you do? You have thoughts on that? I think that. S- it is more accessible for some people than it is for others. Mm. And I actually think that it kind of comes down to a, uh, like a, a class issue because mm. living completely holistically like that is obviously the ideal scenario, but not everyone has the same accessibility to like living that way. I think it's expensive. It's an expensive lifestyle to really be, uh, you know, like keeping up to date with, how your body works because like not everyone's body is the same everyone needs a different treatment for everything and like have you ever heard of these things called cold spots uh maybe sorry population wise so there's this phenomena where certain uh groups of people uh some races are genetically predisposed to certain diseases Mm. but those diseases don't actually manifest because they're eating the diet of the place where they come from like their regional diet so say people from norway and finland i think they have a genetic predisposition to uh seasonal depression Mm -hmm. but since they eat so many omega-3s and fatty acids from the fish that's around that doesn't really manifest in cameroon people who eat their regional diets they have a genetic predisposition to colon cancer which does not manifest because they 
don't eat a lot of meat there. There's a lot more veggies. Um, you take those people and you bring them into the West, the United States, and put them on like an American diet, yeah. and uh, you mm-hmm. you'll see all kinds of problems, which is what we see today. I think. Mm. So I think the problem is is that people have individual needs that. Uh, in order to live their lives holistically, but also it's just not everyone has the same accessibility to the time and the care and the the tools that that they would need to yeah. remedy that. So sometimes it's like the most convenient option is medicine as we know it today, mm. the needles, the pills, all that stuff that you yeah. listed off. Yeah. That makes me think of the also like traditional knowledge around what we've eaten for a while and what has worked for us. So I want to get clear. What you're saying is they have these predispositions, but then within their society or tribe or their region, um, their diet and the foods that have been traditionally available allows for, do you think maybe over time, because they have such an abundance of whatever they needed to curve that, that their genetics kind of shifted away that to where they didn't really, um, have a need to have strong genetics against these different things. Yeah, they adapted to it. Yeah. yeah. And so it worked for their diet at that time. And then when they're transplanted into a new culture and diet and system, um, and then maybe don't have the traditional knowledge of relatives that would be in the area, mm-hmm. right? Um, they don't know to eat like that and then see all these health effects. That, yeah. So, okay. That's what I think. Yeah. I mean, when you... Uh, I don't, here's another exa- a good example of this. Um, you, you know someone who's lactose intolerant, mm-hmm. surely. Yep. Um, I, I don't know if this is 100% true, but I've heard it. Um, lactose intolerance is one of, those, um, one of those traits that we've adapted from. So I've been told that like, if you're lactose intolerant, it's likely that you came from a like a, a high status or a royal family or something mm. because back, you know, whatever, a thousand years ago, two, 2,000 years ago, a couple hundred years ago, uh, milk was considered the poor people's drink. So yeah. high class, people who were high class and nobles wouldn't drink milk, but um, because I guess they're, you know, people, their stomachs didn't agree with it. Their digestion, yeah. they didn't have those, those enzymes or whatever to break it down. But the poor people who would drink it, which the poor people made up the majority of the population, <laughs> they would drink it. And over time, they kind of gained an immunity mm-hmm. to, to drinking that, uh, dairy products and eating, consuming dairy products like that. Mm-hmm. So that's an interesting example that I, I like to, to talk about in anthropology don't know if it's true again, but <laughs> it Sounds makes sense interesting to me. yeah yeah there's a i've kind of taken a break from it because there's been other books that have caught my interest but there's a book i'm midway through um i don't know if you've heard of it it's called um nutritional degeneration and there's more to the title i have it downstairs um but it, what it was, was that this guy, I think it was about 1930, 1940, mm-hmm. he was a, I think, practicing dentist and decided to go around to different tribes around the world of varying connections to modern society at the time and assess uh, dental caries or cavities within the teeth mm-hmm. and then also assess what their diet was. 
Ooh. to connect because um, you see high rates of the dental caries, but then also tuberculosis when you when cavities um, are linked with heart disease as well. Yeah, yeah. when you see um, that they're on more of a modern diet, which back then is pretty similar now where there's a lot of jams and jellies and white breads and sugars and things like that right majority of my diet right now (laughs) (laughs) um and so it's just him it's kind of i'm getting uh, i took a break because it's kind of repetitive in the sense that he's like this tribe that was had no connections to society had perfect teeth and no dental caries and then this tribe the closer they got the more they um had these problems arise even if like the the connection between the generations was like just one step out of the way like the family just moved out they would Mm -hmm. still have these so there wasn't really a genetic difference there it was really kind of dietary in that sense which was interesting interesting so there was no genetic like variation between their because some i have garbage teeth (laughs) i get it from my dad's side yeah i'm my actually my my roommate he has a sister and she got i think their their mom's their mom's teeth and she had like six cavities every dental mm-hmm. visit but he drinks like nothing but soda <laughs> and 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 eats a lot of sugar mm-hmm. and he hasn't gotten pretty much a single cavity since childhood yeah so th- did he well i think talk back a little then bit about that? they talk about the families back then i don't know how much they knew about genetics and everything like that they might have thought about it as like family lineage okay but they, what he easily observed was like if the parents were living still in traditional their modern their traditional tribe and then the kids moved out and started eating those foods and their kids started eating those foods it it was more like what he was connecting to was like just timing of when it started within life so um which there's probably like if you continue to do that there'd be definitely over time genetic changes obviously because there's a there's a influence of the environment and back and forth between genes right okay um but he was it, in my brain. He kept on connecting it to just like proximity to tr- modern foods, which was interesting. Um, there's a cool because you were talking about um, tribes with their traditional diet. There's a tribe up in Canada or maybe around Alaska where um, I mean, there's not a lot of agriculture up there, right? Because of the seasons and everything. Mm-hmm. But um, and so you would be curious about some nutritional deficiencies because they lived mostly off caribou i believe but what this one tribe he observed would do was cut out one particular piece of the caribou which was later found out to be the adrenal gland and they they would cut off just a little piece of it and distill it out to the whole tribe so everybody got a piece and I mean, the tribe couldn't tell you, but when you run that through analysis, it had a high level of like vitamin C and stuff like that, which would keep them from getting things like scurvy that we know of and stuff. So it's like that traditional knowledge that's really interesting of, um, and being able to survive in harsh conditions where you might not have really available fruits and vegetables, but can still, yeah, yeah, understand that this one part of the caribou will sustain everybody, um, that's insane. Yeah. I don't want to imagine the like error process of <laughs> figuring that out, which part of the body would do that for you and yeah. different things like that. Right. But to understand, I don't know, like at least intuitively or instinctually that to cut up this, I, I don't know how big the, the adrenal gland's not big. I don't know how big it is in caribou, but I it can't imagine it being too big. Right. Mm-mm. And so where is it located in the, 
uh, in people, it's in uh, their head or adrenal gland. It's near it? the head, near I the believe. Head. I think it's near the spinal column as well. Yeah, I might be wrong with that. Um, in caribou, the same. I would imagine so. I'm not yeah. a caribou expert. I figured I would probably know, but <laughs> wherever it is, they would cut it out. Yeah. And to understand to split it in even pieces for everybody within the tribe is mm -hmm. very interesting. You know, of just that understanding that it was needed nutritionally, even though if you ask them, they weren't like, yeah, we do this because it's high in vitamin C. A they don't tell times, you that. Yeah. A lot of times they attribute religious, uh, Hmm. meaning to it so yeah. you know they'll a lot of times they'll make a story for it. like yeah. how you think of oh you know uh, buddha hmm. in buddhism uh they drink a lot of tea and it's one of the stories is that like i think siddhartha or something the buddha drop a sweat or something dropped on the floor and then from that sprung a tea leaf that sort of thing mm. so it was like a gift from the yeah. gods i'm so interested in that religious stuff <laughs> <laughs> that was another thing that i wanted to talk about are you today. religious i'm not no i don't believe in anything <laughs> <laughs> are you uh atheistic no i wouldn't consider myself or atheist, atheist. I atheism yeah, whatever. atheism is like it, there's like a certainty with atheism that mm. I don't find very attractive as much as I don't find the certainty with religions like the Abrahamic religions very attractive yeah. either. The idea that like, you, you know, and it, you know, it's, it's based off of really, in my opinion, very little, but, um, are you talking historically? Like very little, um, what, uh, like, I can't remember the last time I've seen a miracle in real life. <laughs> so, <laughs> but people swear by it, yeah. you know, I, I, I just can't, I can't accept it yet. So. Might it be how you define what a miracle is? Yeah, well, people, religious people, when they define miracles in my experience at least usually they're pretty extraordinary mm. you know something that would really surprise you water you, to wine yeah water to wine curing yeah. blindness mm -hmm. that sort of thing yeah um revival from the dead i think revival there's from some the stories dead. right yeah yeah um <clears throat> i makes me think of those like those guys who would basically like shout at people in wheelchairs and the people would get up and go, Oh, <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I can walk again. <laughs> yeah. That stuff would make me laugh. But, um, <laughs> no, I never actually, I didn't grow up with a very religious contact in a very religious context. My parents came from Iran mm -hmm. and they came about 30 or so years ago before I was born. I was born here. Um, but my dad's, my mom's side of the family is uh, secular, pretty secular Islamic Muslim. Hmm. And um, if you, I mean, if you know, Iran is the the state religion is is Islamic. So if you're yeah. born to a Muslim father, then you are Muslim. Um, and the the remedy for apostasy is death. So mm. <laughs> there's no such thing as a Muslim convert. Um, mm. uh, sorry, someone who converts out of out of Islam. My dad's side of the family is fairly conservative by comparison. They're pretty conservative mu Muslim. They do pray six times a day and they know exactly why they do it. They know exactly why they 
they love their God and, and, you know, everything that there will be, they will be awarded in the afterlife, afterlife. There's a lot of certainty they carry with the religion that they, that they have. My mom's side of the family, I asked them, I remember when I was 16 and I went there, I asked them like, why, why do you believe in this? And my cousins kind of just stared at me and were like, I don't really know. I do it because everyone else does it and because mm. you kind of have to. Um, but it's, it's interesting because Iran's demographic religiously is, is kind of unique because it's not uh, like any other Arab country. We don't have an Arab identity. Uh, the Persian identity is really, really strong and, and intense. So a lot of Persians will consider this, themselves more Persian than Muslim. Hmm. I, growing up, was never taught to believe in a god and was never taught to believe in Islam or any of the Abrahamic religions, anything. So I never really had a reason to. And as I was growing up, I never really had a reason to look upwards for for a god or anything. I, I was very focused on what was exactly in front of me and the observable, observable world um, that I had in the palm of my hands. And still, to that degree, I'm kind of the same way, but I, I'm exploring the spiritual, like, ideas in the spiritual world a little bit. Hmm. Um, so, yeah, I'll just, I'll leave it at, like, I don't, I'm not ready to know. <laughs> uh, I appreciate that in the sense that some people, to me, there's some humility in that. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of people that deny or don't think there's anything like that don't well would more make statements that are less humble than like i just don't know enough right now than yeah. more like i know more than maybe other people know and i know that it's not it's not that yeah if that makes sense i know that it's not that because the positive claim you can't really you know the positive claim has to come with some very extraordinary evidence to be true mm -hmm. and you can't really refute that that claim without you know like in some way accepting their claim that God does exist. So if I were atheist, I would have to accept that God, that, that these, that these people really believe that God exists in order to refute that claim. I'm sure there's some kind of fallacy in there somewhere, but mm. there's just, there, it just seems like a fool's game for me to be like, I, I accept your position and I refute it. Mm. I think it's kind of a, it's, it's much easier for me to just be like, I, I don't know. And I can't really know. Right. I guess agnosticism would be I was just thinking that. the word for it, but I also don't really like to put labels that I have no conception of hmm. on myself. So what's there to, con to conceive on that? Cause it's just kind of like a, I don't know, shoulder shrug kind of statement, right? Yeah, yeah, but as soon as you put the word agnosticism or atheism or anything else to it, it comes with all this baggage that you don't ever expect. Because mm. people will, you know, people who know atheists have kind of an idea in their minds of what they're like, and people who know of a lot of agnostics have an idea in their minds of what, maybe they watched that South Park episode about, <laughs> like, agnosticism or something like that, so they have this perception. Um, that's the kind of thing that I generally try to avoid, because mm. I'm really nothing beyond what I present myself and I don't really need the baggage or or any of the connotation from any of 
the other people you may know who I don't know. <laughs> you know, I don't need to be comparing myself myself with anyone like that. So yeah. Um, do you generally don't like having labels on like other aspects of your life, or is it just more with that religious part that you you don't like to be labeled? Generally, I avoid labels unless necessary. Um, I'm brown <laughs> that's that'll be good enough <laughs> mm. I, I like I people mean, assume things from that alone yeah sometimes they do sometimes they think that i apologize am i do you want to turn it up too far just away a bit? yeah that, okay just angle you're good all right um it's a dong in my face all right <laughs> i uh i i do have you sorry i don't have you been profiled like that because of your skin sure but yeah. not by people who should be taken seriously yeah <laughs> certainly not yeah um but i when i was in middle school or well yeah when i was in middle school i had a nickname that was pretty bad it was kids call me you know like terrorist <laughs> yeah <laughs> was that it that, that was it was that that's and creative it was, <laughs> am i allowed to am i allowed to say slurs yeah go, yeah so sand nigger dune coon okay you know, okay. that sort of stuff too. And that, it, I had less people call me that with an area, with, with an air of seriousness, more people calling me that just because they think it's funny. And I didn't never really pushed back against it when I was younger, yeah. because when you're young and you're like me and you're kind of, you know, I didn't really have an identity. I was kind of dorky and, and weird. I didn't really yeah. fit in. Yeah. You'll take what you can get. You yeah. know, you'll laugh along mm -hmm. and it didn't really bother me at the time. And I think arguably it still doesn't really either because I know where it, I understand where it comes from. And if you understand where a name or a concept comes from, generally it can't hurt you. I think mm -hmm. that's how I feel about it. Was it more of like just kind of a joking thing than a, a targeting barb, right? Or for the, most, for the part, most part, for the most part, I do get a little bit of it today actually funny story uh <laughs> a lot of people who don't know of a lot of middle eastern uh women will usually pull the name out of their ass mia khalifa mm. so yep. an anytime a stranger uh i was walking around nordstrom a couple of months ago and there are these like two teenagers well these two guys they must have been high schoolers but they're they're walking past me and they're like Oh, who let Mia Khalifa in here? You know, look, is Mia Khalifa in here? And I'm like, really? That's all you got? <laughs> uh, I couldn't, I, I couldn't be upset because I recalled a conversation I had with a friend because that's that was a running joke in our group of friends. Uh, ever since in middle school, some kid called me that one time, or in high school, some kid called me that one time, and that was just the running joke. And I was like, damn it, I don't look like her. <laughs> and she's Lebanese, I'm Iranian, you know, whatever. Uh, I recalled that conversation. I'm like, damn it, I can't be upset now. <laughs> <laughs> so I just brushed it off. But yeah, it, it's far less important to me than my actual identity as a Persian. I'll, I'll go on and on about Iran. and, and As Persian, a Persian, you said? Persian, yeah. My experience uh, with with Iran and, and as a Persian. And I'm very very thankful to be a part of two cultures two insanely different cultures the way that i am i feel like you could clap back on that with like 
why you're simping so hard on that porn little know, man right? or something like that. Like, I feel was, like you could come back on that real easy. I'm sure I could. He was like, oh, uh, you know her? I'm like, yeah, of course I know. Everyone knows who that is. And he was like, oh, you got any videos? And I was like, okay. Or just be like, uh, that's not something to be proud of, maybe? I don't know. Well, I've, I've gotten that, too, is usually when I push back against that. They're like, it's a compliment. You know, oh. she's a porn star. It's hot. She's I was going to say to know who that is. Oh, yeah. I don't know. I don't know. I have a weird... I'm still figuring out my stance on porn, I guess. Hmm? That's a whole different topic than what we were on. I think so. <laughs> That's okay. I think the... the <laughs> we can... We can talk about porn if you'd like. I know it's, I know it's on your mind. <laughs> Do you identify more with your Persian identity? Is that a fair way to say it? Um, I can't say I can't say I do because I haven't. I'm not surrounded by it. Mm. I I'm very interested in it. Much more interested in my Persian identity than I am with my Western american identity because i know my american identity i know it as far as one can possibly know it as far as i'm interested in knowing about the western culture and and where i fall uh because the western culture it's really young Mm. it's really new the united states is what like 400 years only over 400 years old yeah and iran i mean the persian empire goes back like two to six thousand years mm-hmm. depending on where you put it and i've become i've become very very interested in uh the founding religion of the Achaemenid empire which is zoroastrianism uh i would urge you to 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 look into that religion because i think astrianism zoroastrianism okay. that's the greek way of of saying it and okay I think their their language it would have been it would be um Zarathustrianism. So okay, Zarathustra. Yeah, Zarathustra. Yeah. yeah. So What is that about? So Zoroastrianism is probably the oldest monotheistic religion that is still practiced today. Mm. And it's very likely that a lot of the core principles in Zoroastrianism were uh had influenced the three main abrahamic religions that we see today so judaism christianity islam yeah uh zoroastrianism is a dualistic faith which means that there is a being that represents all light and goodness and love and all of the beauty and then there is like a negative deity who represents hate and darkness and these two deities are constantly at odds with each other uh, until some prophesized day where they eventually will have to battle and then um, eventually the good side wins. It's the idea of like you strive to be, to have that balance, but, but uh, more importantly to live up to the spirit of Ahura Mazda, which is the god mm. in Zoroastrianism. The positive. The positive, yeah. yes. Yeah, because um, there's a line I love where there's a line down every man's heart that is split of good and evil, and it's that balance between the two, right? Mm-hmm. That you're trying to promote the positive, but there's always still that battle between the negative as well, between the negative and positive. Yeah, so right? it, it goes as far back as like the yin and yang. Yep. 
yeah. and uh, there's some evidence that Zoroastrianism even influenced Confucianist ideas. Mm-hmm. Um, but there are Zoroastrian people still practicing today, except most of them are in the United States and in India. Very few are living in, in... There are a couple of small communities in Iran right now. Yazd and Kerman, I think, are where the main populations are. Very historical sites in Iran. But they're a persecuted people, so they're not very eager about outing themselves in that mm. way. Yes, but uh, um, when... Persia was conquered by the Alexander the Great, and then uh, the Sasanian Empire was destroyed, and basically the whole place was Arabized, essentially, um, by the, the you know is, Islamic Zoroastrians. Are, Zoro, Zoroastrians are not conquerors; they're very secluded, and they the reason that they don't grow is that they're not very interested in spreading the faith the same way that Islam was in the 7th century. Um, Islam was very concerned with spreading, you know, the word of Allah and, and yeah. doing it through conquering lands and, and you know, that whole deal. But uh, Zoroastrians believe that if, that you can only be born a Zoroastrian and you can't, they don't accept converts and they're very, very particular about letting certain people observe their rituals and and all that sort of thing uh with islam it's like well a muslim man can marry a muslim woman and have or a non-muslim woman even and have muslim children but a muslim woman cannot marry a non-muslim man because then their children would be uh, the identity of their children would be dictated by the father say a muslim woman married a christian man their kids would be christian so there's that whole you know, spreading, spreading the faith and kind of like conquering the world. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, a long time ago, a group of Zoroastrians escaped to India and that's what the Parsi, and they became what's called the Parsi community. Freddie Mercury's father came from, is a Zoroastrian who came from from India. So Freddie Mercury's real name is uh, Farouk, I think. Hmm. So. He was a Zoroastrian, probably the only famous Zoroastrian that we we have <laughs> right now. Yeah. Yeah. Um, if you're trying to lean into that identity more, hmm. why present with Kiara? It's very difficult for people to say my real name. Yeah. They have a lot of trouble with it. Can you say it again? Hedia. 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 Okay. It means gift in Farsi. Hmm. And... Uh, I got really sick of substitute teachers being like, Hedea? <laughs> you don't like Hedea? Hedja? I, Hedja. I think it sounds awful. It, it just sounded awful to my ears. Yeah. So I, I did, I went with Kiara for a long time um, just because I liked the name. I thought it was easier than people trying to say Hedia. Yeah. Because when they say it wrong, it just sounds wrong. Other Persians can say my name just fine, and I'm perfectly happy with them them saying my name. It doesn't really bother me when Americans are eager to, or like Westerners in general, are eager to say my name that way. It doesn't bother me at all. Um, but it's just, they are so concerned with trying to get it right that it just, it's just a huge hassle. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, do away with all that. Just call me Kiara, yeah. a nice, gentle, kind of cool name that I like. 
who knows? Maybe when I get older, I'll I'll go back to uh, Hedia. But Kiara does its job. Yeah, mm-hmm. I've um, growing up, I never had any friends with anybody outside of my small little town or anything international. Mm. And I got very few little tastes of that coming to CSU. I mean, Colorado is pretty whitewashed in general, you know, for better or for worse, but like Midwest in general. Yeah. Yeah. I finally got like a little bit of a taste like that. Like, um, I would teach, um, group fitness classes at CSU when I was still a student. And, um, one of my regulars, his name was Austin. But that was his American name. And I didn't really realize that till like probably past, like I just didn't, I didn't realize it until he followed me on Instagram and I saw his real name under the other name. And I, I didn't even like, I was never exposed to that. I was oh. like, oh, okay. Do you remember he, what is real or did you not want to say? Um, I probably won't say recorded. I can probably show you okay. off record. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think he was more um, of Asian descendants. Um, but I, I was just never exposed to that of like, oh, there's, which in a sense makes sense, which is ease of meeting people. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, I just say mine's like Josh with a B, you know, it's not uh. as hard as maybe yours is, but, um, uh, it is just easier to meet people like food service. I'll say Josh usually because oh. people either right or wrong, or it's just, it's a hassle. It's, it's not even like I care. It's just more steps it's in a sense. It's not worth the yeah. trouble. Yeah. 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 And mine's a little different, but like, um, I never knew that was something people with foreign names had to, it's not even like a battle, but something that was at play, right. Yeah. Is like people understanding how to say it or just an inconvenience. Yeah, really. Yeah. 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 yeah, it is. My dad's name is Hamid and he goes by Alex. All his coworkers mm. know him as Alex. Yeah, and that was part of the reason why I changed. I started going by Kiara because I'm like, it's that easy. <laughs> like, just tell people this is my name. I'll do it. Sure, fine, whatever. Yeah. I'll go. I'll go with Kiara. It's funny how names work. I was thinking about that this morning actually. Mm. Uh, I was doing something different for the podcast, and I had somebody on that also changed their name, um, and I only know the name blurb that they gave me. Um, I don't know a last name. I don't know a real first name, mm. and I was. Uh, writing something for them and I realized like especially pre-internet like you could just make up whatever you wanted pretty much and the only thing that came with that was like anonymity 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 (laughs) but um these days it's like it's I don't know it's just interesting to me like names and like some people really lean into their name and a family name. Right. And, mm. and use that as a sense of identity and some people oh, yeah. change it, but then like you're almost starting from scratch, which is for better or for worse. Right. Like, is there yeah. like some, I don't know, some apprehension with coming in from outside and, um, switching names and becoming a little bit more Americanized. Is there like, do, is there ever backlash or feelings of like, I shouldn't have, change my name i should be strong and proud and in what i'm named well nowadays i get that more than when i did when i was younger uh when people do find out about my real name and what it is they always say the same thing that's beautiful it's Mm -hmm. a beautiful name and it means a beautiful thing and i'm like yeah it does and they always say you know you should be proud of that it's more coming from other people because like for me a name is a name that's just what people call to get my attention and I never really considered it any further than that. I don't, I don't really, I never, 
this is going to be telling, but I never really considered myself a gift or I, 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 I never really identified with the name as, I don't know. It's very, it's kind of difficult to put into words, but it's like, who are you really? Because you're certainly not your name. If I can just change it that easily, because I still have the, my experiences that I talk about and, and that I, that I enjoy telling people about. And, you know, the name change doesn't really seem to change their interest in me or any of the, any of the things that I have to say. So it, I think when I was when I was younger, there was certainly no hesitation. I was like, I do not like this name. I didn't like it. Nowadays, I'm I'm thinking like maybe it's not such a big deal. But then every time I think that, I think back to all the times where I try to correct people and like I do it. And it doesn't bother me, but it's like like you said, it's just an inconvenience and it's a hassle. But it is a beautiful thing, and I I have I have considered. Uh, being a little bit more free with mm-hmm. that and, and talking yeah. a little bit more about that. Yeah. Yeah. Short for, answer is it's really not a big deal for me. <laughs> yeah. Um, it wasn't for me growing up, but now the more I grow, I'm leaning into wanting to want to lean into it more. Like my last name is Erickson mm. and I like want that to mean something, uh, uh-huh. you know? Yeah. I, and that's partly part of why I do this is I don't want to just be, I don't want to be normal, so to speak. And so I also want that to carry weight. Uh-huh. Um, I think it did with my dad, but he wasn't as, um, he was more of a local type of hero, so to speak, mm. instead of. Um, Tell me more about that. Well, I, he's just, he's very strong and competent. He was a carpenter. And so he um, had his own, um, I think it was primarily like roofing business mm-hmm. and then just quickly transitioned from housing to uh, snow plowing because they're up in the mountains, which is a, a much bigger uh, business in, in general. Colorado? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And then um, landscaping as well right now. So he's just been a very solid like business owner but Mm. it's always been at the local level he's not not tried to expand or grow which is fine it's up Mm -hmm. to him um but for me i want to take that i guess to mean bigger or to just have more legacy behind it Mm -hmm. um and and it's hard to build that up if you're switching buildings or switching names right and so i want that to mean something i like that my first name's pretty unique as well there's I haven't met anybody with it and I haven't met anybody that has known somebody that has it, you know, which I like. And I want to do something like that with my own kids of like something unique and also meaningful for them. I don't want them to be called John, even though I really like the name John. Mm -hmm. It's just very used, overused like Tom or Sally or all the Bob, all those things like that, you know, which are fine names. But for me, I want something very unique for them that I like. But then it's cool to have the umbrella that I would like to build with the last name Erickson. Yeah, I like to name my kids Ritz Crackers, I think. If I, <laughs> <laughs> if I had a pair of twins, Ritz Crackers. Now, uh, is there a story behind your name specifically? If there is, I don't know it. Oh, okay. Your parents <laughs> just decided? Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. I mean, he was a carpenter and you work with Bosch Power Tools. Oh. So I think that's connected just intuitively thinking about it. Interesting. But, uh, yeah. It sounds cool. I like it. <laughs> that is cool. <laughs> that is really cool. You do have a very unique name. Uh, yeah, not to be redundant, but I've 
I've never met, nor have I met, uh, nor, I've never met anyone who has that name, nor have I met someone who knows anyone who has mm-hmm. that name. So, yeah, that's, it's very interesting. Names are also very interesting when you compare Western names to names literally everywhere else, because we don't really name our kids, um, was, as Western people I'm speaking, uh, we don't really name our kids after nouns or concepts as much i think our western names are usually like religiously derived like william and yeah. and zachary and all that yeah but abraham it, abraham yeah in in south america and africa like middle east everywhere like pacific uh pacific asia you have like a whole variety of names that are just you know flower or is that sorry um is that like like for yeah for me as a very western i mean i've lived here all my life you Mm -hmm. know that's like very i guess foreign to me um because it'd be like naming your son strong right yeah or something like that i didn't know a guy in high school named storm storm that was his first name on the birth certificate which was cool. cool yeah um and it just doesn't i don't know like it is just a cultural thing of like Mm -hmm. having my son strong just doesn't roll off the tongue for me well maybe calling him rock mm-hmm. would be like something analogous to strength but not strength itself you know also the worst name you could possibly rock, <laughs> rock. <laughs> well well not to n- no shade on people who are actually named rock but <laughs> <laughs> i would just saying i wouldn't name my kid rock if you're named rock i'm sorry, I'm sorry rock. <laughs> your I'm parents s- fucked up I- <laughs> sorry rock your parents did you dirty sorry rock yeah you should have been chose chosen to be born a different name uh, <laughs> um we've offended one person <laughs> yeah all four all four of all the people four rocks planet, all four rocks they come together to make the boulder one big rock there is um what is it um mercedes oh that is that, that some, is some trickle in but there's not a lot of it i know what you mean mm-hmm. names are weird names are weird yes uh it is i'll say as a person who has a lot of experience with people who have those names iranians all like all of their names for girls are that all of the boys names are like muhammad abc you know muhammad that's the name and then a number <laughs> might as well be a number <laughs> that sets them apart um yeah. oh, ali ahmed hamid you know muhammad whatever uh the girls are named like zebo or asa and those are all like it means beauty or 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 like honey asal means honey like the literal mm. Honey. sweetness sweet yeah. yeah so you're supposed to the name is supposed to give you expectations about a person when you meet them i think that's the idea behind it so when you do name your kids strong it's like that's the kind of name i would imagine a conqueror would yeah. would have for their kids so that they'd really be building up the expectations that other people would have of their mm. their kid like you associate this word with all of these things now you're going to associate my son with all of these things as well um I think you could do that here. You just maybe conceal it like Joseph Strong Erickson or something like that. <laughs> it doesn't sound like it still doesn't sound quite right. But like 
it's then built into their name and like then they the can middle s- names yeah yeah they can be they that that would let your son present as joseph you know mm-hmm. but then they're like oh shit i'm strong in my name and i'm weak as shit like, oh I yeah need to, i need to figure this I out need to step it up i need to step it up and you <laughs> hit the weights but <laughs> yeah. um, have you thought about what you're going to name your kids or anything like that? I was never planning on having kids is the issue. <laughs> I meet so many people that say that these days. That blows me away. I'm not ready to even think about that. I, I, when I was younger, I was like, no, not having kids. It's a waste of time. It's just going to take my freedom away because you only get the context of your parents going like, you know, kids, they only talk about them as a nuisance or whatever. And, and all of the really nice things they have to say about kids is just kind of you're selectively deaf to it. Because when it's you, it's like you're thinking about all the freedom that would be taken away from me if I if I had to care for a child. But I nice reach. I, uh, <laughs> I would. Uh, I think that now as of right now, I'm like, I wouldn't have kids. But why not? I just can't, couldn't, at the age that I am right now, I can't conceive of a future where having kids alone would make me happy mm. as a person. Mm. The, my priorities just aren't there right now, at least. I know when I get older, things might change. And I think that might be true for a lot of the people that you meet that say that. Did you want kids as you were growing up? Oddly, yeah. That? I had a sense of it in high school. And then the the landmark moment for me was my first year in college at community college. Um, I was in a speech type of class and the teacher always wanted everybody to be more out of their shell. It was in the morning. So she would always right before slides hit would have like a icebreaker question uh, and it's always variable and it was kind of fun. And everybody had to stand up and say just a list, at least a little bit, mm-hmm. um, just kind of break the ice of public speaking itself, which I think is a cool tool. But for sure, besides that, um, one of the days, the cons, the idea, the question came up. Um, if you could go forward or back in time, which would you choose and what would you do? And my head went, well, definitely not back in time because I don't want to change anything. I just don't want to fuck with that and pretty fairly happy. And I don't want to change anything about me because then I want to be me. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was like, okay, then future is the only possibility. What would you do in the future? And I've never, I was never one to like have good answers to questions right on the spot. Mm-hmm. I'm the type that really marinades on things. Uh. Um, but I was like, I have a minute to figure this out. So, and I'm also the type that I want to say something and it's actually means something. I hold a lot of weight to my word. And so I didn't want to just say like play with a robot or something like that, Mm. or fly on a jetpack or whatever that like, just something. my idol. Yeah. Stuff like that. Right. Um, so I was like, well, what would be actually fun? What would you enjoy doing? I was like trying to think, trying to think. And I was like, well, I'd like to play with my kids. And I was my like, heart melted. <laughs> just oh. I was like, okay, well, what age? And I was like, well, like teenager, they might be a dick. <laughs> 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 so I probably don't want that. They're definitely going to be a dick if they're big on my jeans. Any of them <laughs> It'd be cool to feed them if they're like a baby, but then they might be crying. How long do I get in this time machine? I can't oh, risk yeah. that. Um, so I was like in my head, like like older toddler age, like 
eight, nine, ten, something like that. Mm-hmm. Let's go. And so that's what I said. And I really meant it. And then like I had like faint ideas of it in high school, but that was like now looking back like a landmark moment of like, oh, I understood what that means. Um and it also was like <clears throat> that's around the time I like really got interested in like self-help books in the community online. And that's really helped and influenced me to this day, you know? Yeah. Um, I see that in you. <laughs> thank you. Um, and so it just left me with like, okay. And now I really think on it and I have a lot more of a deeper understanding of it. And it's actually a topic I want to write about at some point. Um, <laughs> I've um, enough of that. <laughs> um, something like, What's in my head of what I want to write about is something like, um, well, the idea is to continually progress is to chase that positive, right? Mm-hmm. Instead of chasing that negative, which is, means a lot of different things in different cultures and philosophies yeah. and religions. Very gross but, oversimplification yeah. of it, but that's, but it works principle. for everybody, yeah. right? <laughs> um, like for me, I believe heaven and hell is on earth and oh. chasing that positive is closer to heaven or analogous to it. And so if you can chase that, then that means you discovered something. And then if you discover it just a little bit more, then you would have the ability to teach it. And if you have the ability to, sh- cause then you have the ability to show it to somebody mm-hmm. because not everybody understands these things. Yeah. And so then you first come to a, the place of the fool. You can become the hero and slay the dragon. Mm-hmm. But then if you understand how you slayed it, so in a narrative sense and bring that back to the community and teach it, mm-hmm. then that's what you should do with your kids. Yeah. You and if you can do preserve that, preserve the wisdom yeah. for generations. Yeah. And if you can do that for your kids, then why not expand a bit more and make it your life's work or your career mm-hmm. or that. And so that's been a big influence on me now. Like everything I do is for my kids right now. Mm. And I think everything I was doing was since I woke up, and in a sense of like actually started thinking at a real thinking of like enlightenment thinking in a sense of like around where I was 14, 15, maybe, mm-hmm. maybe 16. Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's a longer answer, I think. Incredible. Um, like everything I do is for them, but it's like, why not bring it to everybody? And I'm not, what's cool is like, I'm an idiot. So what's fun is I'm going to record it now, me being an idiot, and then hopefully, hopefully show some progression. Of course. And work towards that positive. And then it's a... the narrative will be redefined and um, um, fined down and, and tuned as well. And so I, I hope speaking in a year, it'll be better. I mean, I'm talking with people is yeah. a nice challenge, right? And, um, this is over 20 now. And so just learning the ebbs and flows. different people? Yeah. Okay. Well, episode 20. Episode, over. Oh, okay. This I is see. past 20 now, but I've had some repeats, so it's I murky see. how many people. But um, yeah. It's, it's a all... marathon, not a sprint, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, life is. Life is. We have a short time, but also like if you really bunker down and you can figure out what you want to do if you're lucky at like 16 and can bunker down and if you do that for a decade you're 26 when some people are just waking up and figuring it out yeah. and you've made it is kind of the idea well, what that's about, a longer answer to your 
question than probably needed, but it's a thorough answer. <laughs> and I, I appreciate that over the simple yes or no for sure. But what about when you think you there's the illusion of knowing what you want mm. and maybe that's what what you saw in yourself but you understood yourself at 16 say and maybe at your age right now you realize that you don't really like what you see in yourself mm. what if that what if you're maybe like 40 when that realization hits you that i don't like what i've turned into is that what's the that, question that the uh, that you you didn't actually know like what you wanted but there was like an illusion that you have created for yourself of like what you think you wanted out of life and maybe yeah maybe that changed yeah. for you i definitely don't know what i want right now uh, i have a rough idea okay i know i want legacy but it's that means you won't pigeonhole yourself yeah <laughs> <laughs> it means that so many different things like um, i'm i'm constantly chiseling out this idea of what i want in the future i have a rough idea mm -hmm. i have multiple different places I want to end up, which can be destabilizing in the sense that it can fragment you, mm -hmm. but also it doesn't narrow you and it doesn't, it's not rigid, if that makes sense. Um, but there's a, comp what first popped in my mind when you said that was um, the word instinct. And there's a little bit to what I do it's like this, what I'm doing right now does not make sense. And it, it, like, I, nobody watches this. <laughs> I've spent a lot of money. Like this is quality equipment. I've spent a lot of money on it. And me, I'm going to be advertising this to all of my friends. <laughs> That's <please>. fine. <laughs> I appreciate that. You know, um, like it doesn't make sense. I've, I, I'm in the hole. I'm not in debt, <laughs> but I'm in the hole in the sense that money was spent and this is not producing anything, right. but also talking it, there's a cool ritual out, ritual to it. Mm -hmm. We're setting it up, but then also we're locked in yeah. and everything like that. And so I love just talking to people. Um, I don't put an emphasis as a goal on the money, but if it makes money at some point, that's would be nice. It's a nice with ad product, yeah. And it's very feasible with ad revenue towards that. So it's, it's a very helpful thing to think, what would I do if money wasn't an object? And then do that and do it in a flavor of hopefully it produces one day. Mm -hmm. And so hopefully this produces one day. And I would, and I, I really like it because it pushes me out of my comfort zone. Yeah. Like a lot of other things I do mm -hmm. of um, having to meet people. I yeah. mean, I want to have at least one a week, if not two or three. And so I have to find people because not everybody can be a repeat. And yeah. it's not good to have repeats because then, like I had a friend on at least three times, maybe four times. And then I realized, oh, I'm getting, I'm getting soft in the sense I'm getting in a routine. Uh, uh -huh. Like it's easy to talk to, especially him, because I'll say it's, he's one of the types he'll say a word and he'll speak for a minute oh. or 10 minutes. Right. Yeah. So it's very easy as on me mm -hmm. when there's other conversations I've had where it's like, uh, I'm really, uh, steering the conversation or, or, uh, I'm the main momentum behind what we're talking about do you prefer those conversations no 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 um th these are the type i prefer well that one it's like almost pulling teeth of like trying to find things that the person can talk about yeah and some people <laughs> some people just don't have opinions on things which i appreciate because there's not that know-it-all or mm. that um 
I don't know nothing about this, but I'm going to give my opinion anyways. The bullshitter. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but then there's also like some people just don't think deeply about life and are happy. Mm-hmm. And that's fine, too. You know, there's just different people. Um, but it's okay to be wrong. Yeah. <laughs> Screw you guys. <laughs> <laughs> but it's also like you obviously think at least a little bit deep about life, if not a good bit. Um, I like to think I'm very <laughs> not even smart it's not even like um intelligence it's like some people think themselves ragged yes but then others can do it and get somewhere and oh. it feels good does that make sense yeah i think it's the difference between thinking about things that you actually have control over versus you know worry about worrying about things that you don't yeah, yeah. i think worry is the key word in there yeah instead instead Anxiety. of thinking right yeah yeah instead of just like because to me i'm a big systems guy i have a systems bone in my body of like i like sh- connecting things that can be connected and trying to say okay this piece is here and that's connected to this and that's what results in that yeah is what i like to try to figure out mm-hmm. um that's where sometimes i'll bring up like spectrums because of like traditional values and now contemporary values especially in the west where things are kind of um little new agey so to speak right Mm. um different things like that um there's a sliding scale to things yeah yeah like an abacus abacus like an abacus you know an abacus is it's like the old greek measuring tool that usually the old calculators yeah the with the rod and then they have the beads on the rod and yeah beads around it's not a it's not an applicable it's not the same thing as a spectrum but i'd like to i'd like mm. abacus so yeah I like either, but <laughs> yeah um no i i i see what you're why don't you I, think I kids are a good thing what why don't, why don't you <laughs> think kids are that. a good thing for your future well um is that more accurate i i'll say i i don't see the benefit yet like you do I'm go, not, go on, I, and I don't want to shame you're you. You're like, oh, this guy is fucking... Okay, guy, okay. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I just... I'm just saying, f- for me at the point in I, that I am in life right now, because I can only think about it in the, the context of my identity right now. I don't know who I'm going to be in 10 years or 5 years. I'm certainly not having kids uh, like until at least I'm 25, maybe even 30. I'll have kids late if I do. But... I have some questions about myself that deserve to be answered before I'm allowed to teach anyone anything <laughs> about life. You know, I first of all, I don't think I'd be a good parent where I am right now. Yeah. And 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 um I think that like some people think uh, having kids is really there are some some people who are in bad relationships who think that having kids is going to fix their relationship. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. I know. Well, in a diff- slightly different context, I know people that are. Uh, uh, no, I don't know if this is a quite the same comparison. Never mind. Well, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> no, you're fine. I I'm sure the spirit of of what you were thinking is there. I I think what I was getting at is people have things in the wrong order. Yeah. I think that's what you're getting at. Yeah. Is like. Some people are going to step three when step one wasn't even done. Yeah. And I've done that myself a little bit, but then had to retract a bit where mm-hmm. you learn things about a person you're dating and you're like a little bit deep into a relationship and you're like, oh, shit, 
this is not this is a red flag i should have seen you know before maybe yes yeah yeah, yeah. um because for me i was I, I don't know i think i line up a bit more with traditional stuff mm-hmm. but i think it's because it was it's been tested in history mm-hmm. like you're saying almost like with some uh national cultures so mm-hmm. to speak have been tested through history and the american identity is pretty new mm-hmm. um but in a completely different sense what it means to like date somebody respectfully because that then leads into kids yeah. you know is really flipped on its head in certain senses right now especially in our western culture yeah um and i think there are some cultures like um, you're making me think of japan where i i think the they're just not having kids mm-hmm. because i i think that it's because like the paradigm has changed there where like getting married and having kids just doesn't make sense anymore or make as much sense or it's not really feasible with the the culture or the economy that they might have but i think um i i I think I I like what you said about putting things out of order because I do think I have to stop myself every time I think about that kind of future where I'm making like this this image of where I'm going to be in a certain amount of time and you know I'm going to have this kid this is what I'm going to do well I'm putting the cart before the horse and that's what I say in my head like don't you think you should you know refocus your priorities a little bit and yeah go on go on ahead a little bit. Um, to me, it's more thinking about the cart and then rigging up the horse to be prepared for the cart. Does that make sense? I can Go, expand on that. Yeah, please do. It's um, the cart is the kids. Okay. It's thinking about the kids, but that's something we have the we're graced with the of the ability to think. And so thinking about it is not the same as putting any action into the world. And so you can think about where the cart is, where it should be and what it's filled with while not even touching the cart at all and therefore not having it even hitched or even maybe existent. Maybe you haven't even gotten your cart, right? Mm -hmm. Um, But then you can still think to me, it's maybe like you're the horse in the sense of but this needs to be set first. Like in order to pull the cart, we need a horse. Mm-hmm. We need a, we need a strong horse as well. Yeah. Right. Okay. And so, <clears throat> yeah, like right now I would be not good with kids, but that's just understanding to fix the horse. But then in my head, I'm like, this horse is going to pull a cart at some point. Mm-hmm. Interesting. I think um, that brings up a question for me because there are some people who I know are fantastic people, but would not make very good parents. <laughs> <laughs> like ever? Mm, are you saying? Maybe like ever. Or there, right now. Well, there are some people like, like the way, the way that I, what I'm getting from what you're, what you're saying is that you're thinking about conditioning your, yourself for a future as a parent. Right. Yeah. And there are some people that that's not some people like me where that's not even like a factor for them until probably until like they hit 35 and they realize they won't be able to have kids in five years and shit. Now I'm rushing to get married and have a kid. You know, how do you think, what do you think about that? Like those, those people who don't really consider this part of the natural human condition until maybe they're worried that it's too late. Yeah. Um, it's especially hard for women. 
Yeah. It's especially hard. Um, I think like on some estimates past 30, it's sub 25% chance depending on, you know, your genetic makeup and predispositions and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. It's a quarter chance. I think past 30 is what I've heard. I haven't looked at actual studies, but that's what I've heard. But once you get past that point, it's just subsequently harder every single day. That's why they call it the clock or the wall. Mm -hmm. Um, I think one of the greatest superpowers is the ability to have kids. And recently I recognized this where two different occasions with both my my grandmas. um, One was on my mom's side. This was a year or two ago. Um, I think it was the fourth or something like that. And we had all the family there. Um, On that side of the family, my grandma's, my grandfather on that side uh, committed suicide. I think when my mom was around like one, two, three or four, very young. So he was never around. Um, So it was all her. Um, And they had some hardships and stuff like that. But so it was all her. And -hmm. then I was looking at the deck and it was all her three girls. So my two aunts and my mom and their husbands and then all of their kids that they made and all of what was it her daughters all of the kids her daughters have made and then which is me and then i plan on having kids and stuff like that so at some point all the kids i would make but on that deck was double digits people and Mm -hmm. it was they were all congregated in that place all because of that one woman it was something I like just put together yeah. in that instant. I was like, Whoa, like that's crazy. Right. Because while like she needed somebody else to make that, make those kids, yeah. he, he checked out real quick mm-hmm. and it was still her. And now you have that. And then on the second occasion was when my grandfather died a couple of years ago. Um, he was my step grandfather, actually not blood relation. Um, a few years ago, it was very hard on my grandma cause she loved him, mm-hmm. but, um, on my dad's side, but, like she had her two sons and daughter to console her mm-hmm. and then their uh, husbands and wives yeah. and then their kids, like just hierarchically yeah. m- people that resulted from people that you created is what I, is what I put together. I've put together now twice now. And I was like you and that one, well, in this case, it's not exactly true, but it works for a lot of people is like, because he was my stepfather, but you and one other person made a, made some people, mm-hmm. at least one person. You could octomom it with eight people if you wanted to, but sure. at least one. And then even if that one person, your husband, dies off, that person you made can make, if you just go by the rule of two, the two people you made can make four. And then by that time, as long as there's no tragedy in the family, you could have, what is that? Uh, four, seven, you would have six people there to console you for one death is how I thought, like just numbers wise, but then also, just, you're a numbers guy, but like, right? yeah, the, I'm a big numbers guy, yeah. but because I think the numbers influences the feelings because oh. you have the death of one person, which is a, a lot of grief, but then you have the love of six people there. You're making me see something that I wasn't prepared to see today. <laughs> I have divorced parents mm. and I do not have any family in the United States. So that might be a part of that influence yeah. my feelings about having a, having my own family. Yeah. That's interesting. Um, no, I see that. I see that today with some of my friends. I always forget to mention 
the divorce thing because I I feel like it's the dominant paradigm now when i talk to people it's mm-hmm. like most. at least when i was growing up it's like yeah. most people i would talk to it was like oh your parents are divorced yeah mine too you know that was that was just like the base the standard well isn't the divorce rate in the u.s over 50 percent? something like that I've, i think i don't know how it changed but that's the number that i've been hearing since mm-hmm. i was young but yeah yes uh, so it's the majority in that case yeah yeah you know and and i see exactly what you're talking about in the families and my friends families who do not have divorced parents or they Mm. have very big families and my mom makes the same point as well i think i personally grew up in a very conscientious household because i grew up with my mom and we were basically alone like we were on our own for most of my growing life so I, i learned to handle things on my own and and unfortunately i conflated that with not accepting help Hmm. as i was growing up as well and so i i think that that might be part of the reason why i feel differently from you is because uh in my childhood as i was growing up i was very i'm very self-reliant and like fiercely independent so i think of these things as like what benefit is of it you know what benefit is it to me having kids or or getting married and all that stuff it's a very stubborn way of thinking but it's i guess it's the way that i grew up but then it's a huge benefit if you think about it because even if you don't have a spouse that dies you have illness and i mean it's a given in life the tragedy of life Mm -hmm. but then there's our society on top of it that's right now corroding which is a different conversation in itself but we can do our best to try to make our society help everybody and do its thing but then at the same time life still has its tragedies of natural disasters and disease and different things like that Mm -hmm. that just um cancer cancer yeah different things like that that um are a lot harder to numb was the word that came to mind but um rude out of life they're almost a part of it right Mm -hmm. where we're trying to fix cancer we're trying to fix diseases but it seems like more come up even and Mm -hmm. We still have earthquakes and tsunamis and volcanoes and disasters like that. That take people away, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And then tragedy within families themselves of um, infidelity and different things like that, right? So um, it's not just death, I guess, that pads you from of having kids there to console with, but also just the tragedy of life itself. So, and selfishly you're like those kids are gonna love me at that day right but um it's kind of a i don't know well it's it's more selfishly uh, i can like i can handle myself i can figure out a way to deal with all of these horrible tragedies of the human condition by myself oh that reminds me oh I love it when ideas pop in my brain. Um, (laughs) I'm not much of a narrative reader, but I'm breaking into one right now. Mm. Uh, Me as well. What was this line? Um, I read it last night. It was really interesting. It was, um, I'm not going to, I could go grab it, but the spirit of it was, um, it was a quick little blurb and it really was kind of a blind side of what he was talking Mm. about. But um, he's talking about there's a the part in the chapters about the upper class and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And this it was like three sentences, four sentences. And all it was about was um, the older men. The thing that snatches them up in this narrative is um, younger women that want to um, 
get their hands on the wealth or uh, or even the status that that can promote to because it was in like a hollywood-esque setting where mm -hmm. um they hope to get per th what was he saying they hope to get picked up by a producer if not find a man that they can make into a producer to then promote them oh, was the whole like yeah. a, like to move up the hierarchy just through relationships yes. and that's to the detriment of the men where they have divorces that take 50 percent, if not more of their wealth and mm -hmm. stuff like that um but then within this line there the second one was something with the women that have all the the wealth but were chose to be individuals think that that wealth will be there to console them was the idea and it was interesting because he didn't apply that to men where it was a sense of what men have to worry about is it being stolen by other greedy women mm -hmm. and then for the women in that place what he connected it to was their alone they don't really have men barking up their tree to steal it up from them mm. but their diamonds won't be there to help wipe their tears when tragedy's at the door i see for these like two people that are either divorced or on their own but then still have riches or mm. status or anything like that yeah it's a really interesting point i can read you the actual line maybe after this that is an interesting point, and, and I'd, I'd like to think more about that. I think that um, the my, the thing that comes to my mind when, when we talk about stuff like that is uh, money and wealth represents freedom. And that's generally the way it seems to be money equals freedom, especially today. And, uh, but there's, there's the the caveat of like money doesn't money and wealth doesn't really mean anything at the end of the day hello <laughs> hello what's up hey logan good how are you doing <laughs> Anyway, you're saying <laughs> it's it, it's it's the it's the freedom that they're looking for, I think, and and mm. whatever that freedom m means, it, I think maybe maybe it's like conflated to to wealth alone, but I think they're looking for freedom and expecting that to wipe their tears. Mm. Then, but it doesn't seem like it. While they might have the, you guys can go downstairs. It's yeah. no worry. Oh, you guys are good. <laughs> How was the drive? Long, you got here. It's hotter than hell outside right now. Barely. <laughs> um, what I was thinking of was, I've been really interested in male-female relationships or relationships in general, mm. and so I think that like connects to a broader thing of what I've been trying to figure out or undress or whatever. Um, Do you mean romantic relationships or just relationships? What. Well, I think in general, like male-female interactions, okay. I think that bleeds into romantic relationships, but then yes. just like business, because it's relatively recent within Western society to allow women in the workforce. Mm -hmm. I'm not saying that's a bad thing, but like there's interesting dynamics that are at play, right? Because yeah. the two are, I mean, there's people that 
are away from that, like gay people and stuff like that. But then the majority of people are still attracted to the opposite sex. And now that's in business settings. And it's really interesting Mm -hmm. in general. Um, And also just the um, ability for a woman to move within the market is a lot more free as well. Mm -hmm. And so what does that mean? Because she doesn't necessarily have to rely on a man. She can find those riches and go into old age, very financially free. Mm -hmm. And is that satiating for her spirit i think it does depend on the individual but i think also um in general Mm -hmm. there's um an idea you can get for most women would even be very happy in that or unhappy in that right so we can try to get a majority vote on that that's things i've been thinking about there's a line that comes to mind of um the men figure out how to be successful and attain their success and then there's, I'm not saying I believe in this line, but um, the the men attain success and the women wait at the end to fuck the winners uh. is the idea. <laughs> okay. And it's that um, what the that blurb was about of mm. like trying to the for lack of a better term, leechy women that want to get a hold of that inheritance or of that um, status that comes with men that have made it. Um, and you don't really see that in men, to my knowledge, that are looking for, there's some like sugar mamas, so to speak, mm-hmm. and sugar dad, but there's a lot more sugar daddies, right? Yeah. Which is interesting. And some would people would say that's how society's set up, but I think there's more of like a biological thing to it as well. I think there is. Well, if we're still talking about me having kids, <laughs> <laughs> I, I uh, at the end of the day, money is not... Uh, what I want it's the freedom that the money represents yeah Uh, but to get away from that more what you're talking about um I think I think it's let me see I just I had something a point and then I and then I quickly forgot it oh you'll you you do see the male equivalent but it's not the same I feel like there is a biological thing to it and there's there's like an anthropological thing Hmm. where I feel, and this is like a really gross simplification. Okay. But um, I feel like men generally desire less in order to be happy than women do. In a relationship? I think in general. Mm. I think because you find more more men who are willing to live minimalistic lifestyles than than women Hmm. and i feel like the male equivalent of those women like leechy women so to speak who are who are going after the wealthy men is like men who essentially i mean this is i'm pulling this out of the air but like men who want women to basically replace their mothers and Mm. and take care of them not necessarily with Mm. like financially but also emotionally to baby them yeah to baby them I feel yeah. like that might be the male equivalent. Yeah. And which is separate from finances entirely. It's more on an emotional yeah. basis, right? Yeah. That's interesting you went that way. Um, I didn't think you would say that. <laughs> what <laughs> were you fun. expecting me to say? <laughs> I don't know. Like tr- normal arguments you hear from people, but oh, just like in general of like, I don't know. Oh, like the the contrarian view of yeah. like, well, men do this and and, and women can women do this can do as well this as well. Which I mean, that it would be true, but it's, I think it's that's putting a band aid over the issue because yeah. that's not really the problem. It's a symptom of the problem. Yeah, and it's also like there's also you know like MGTOW. 
Oh, that I haven't heard men that. going their own way, yeah, yeah, yeah. which is like if we're fed up, it seems like we'll form a group of men that are just like no more women. Yeah. But then it, you don't really have the MGTOW of women. There's because you women. know why? why? The silent treatment only works for women. <laughs> <laughs> that's a great point, right? Yeah. <laughs> it actually, that's like, there's interesting dynamics between these things, right? Like mm-hmm. we'll just hike off into the woods and be in our cabin and call it. But mm-hmm. then there's, that's not the same for women. It's a little bit different. Um, and there's like more nuance and individuals and different things like that. But we're talking just in general, you know? Yeah. There's, that's something I've been really trying to puzzle out lately. I think like the last month, many months I've been, um, like on a personal level, but then also like just a societal level, I think like what, like just what it means for most people, mm-hmm. like what recommendations would you give to people of how to sort their lives romantically and within the workplace and stuff like that. Mm, are so, you asking me? That's where my head's been. If you have thoughts well. on that, I'd love to hear. Oh, I, I, I can't imagine that I'm any further on figuring out the answer to that than you are. But, <laughs> um, and and just like I, I'd have to marinate on that a little yeah. while because there's so much, yeah. so many variables in that. But, um, I, yeah, I'm not the, I'm not exactly the person to ask for relationship advice. I'm, I'm not. <laughs> no, you're good. And I, I, I'm not really in there that much it's not a concern did you come from more of a traditional well i guess your parents divorced but were there more traditional values instilled onto you or yeah i'd say so my my dad's yeah my dad um my dad always hammered home in my head loyalty Mm. like men want an honest loyal woman and those are i mean those are obviously what he wants and those are projected onto me of course because I'm his daughter but uh I think my mom is more my mom put it really hammered home into my head like you have to have self-respect and Hmm. kind of have like a like a stick your nose up sort of attitude which I think is the dominant uh way that Iranian women raise their daughters is it's a very stuck up kind of nature which sounds a little strange but um, I mean, you have to understand that they, they grew up in a culture that doesn't respect them and is yeah. very, it's very hard for them. So they have to, they have to be really like fiercely independent and, and, and strong willed in, in that way. But, um, I think that's a good thing. I think, I think it is, um, I don't know what it is. <laughs> it it is it is a good thing but the thing is a lot of them conf- especially when they're young girls which is part of the reason why I never really had Iranian friends growing up um y- young girls would conflate that stuck up nature with just being bullies mm. so and that is also something that that sticks around as they age cuz uh, age Iran Persians have a very gossipy kind of culture they're very mouthy but men and women or more women you know, in persian culture it, it's both men and women it's more women but with men it's like you read between the lines yeah and yeah. it's a very boastful culture so they're they're very concerned with the way they look outwardly both men and women but the women are probably more likely to be talking about it with the men it's just like a common understanding that they have with each other i think yeah um sorry can you ask me the question one more time Oh, traditional values. I think uh, I think why I said that's good is um, 
to me, another ability I think women have mm. with childbirth is you guys have the ability to be the phrase that sticks in my mind is the great sorters. Mm. You get to sort through everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, yes. Because not only do you get to teach your children, but also you get a sort who helped you create them. Mm-hmm. And that's where I said that. I think that's good is because you get to weed out the weak men mm. and the um, unfaithful or unloyal and Quickly, different things yes. like that, right? Because mm. they're not going to, if they're not going to stick around for that, then they're not going to stick around for anything else. Yeah. Right. Women and I think that's a good a thing. Yeah. I think, oh, I think obviously you can see it through a lot of statistics and stuff like that. Women are more choosy, but mm-hmm. I think that's a, a good mechanism. I agree because there's so much more risk for us. Oh yeah. Yeah. Tons. Compared Tons. to men. We invest a lot more in relationships as a whole than, than I think men do. And I, I hope that doesn't sound too inflammatory, but no, that's like what, emotionally. That's and then also you carry the burden of birth mm-hmm. and everything like that. Yeah. And, and you know, the man is traditionally supposed to be the rock and mm-hmm. the support. I mean, it's variable, but generally that's what women would look for. I yeah. think, um, do you agree with the, those ideas? Because it's more traditional ideals. I know it's what I want. Yeah. Um, I I know I want someone who can handle f- things when it is necessary for them to. You know, I I don't know how else to put it other than that. But I I I need someone who won't crumble before me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know. Um, and that could mean something different for, for many, many women, I think as well. And, and women who have different tolerances as well. Cause I, I like to think that I can, I can handle myself pretty well and handle things pretty well, which automatically puts my standards really high, Yeah, yeah. <laughs> which is then the difficult part of being too choosy when, when yeah, can finding you decide, somebody. yeah, yeah. Like when can you take liberties? Mm-hmm. Yeah, but but you asked about. Um, <laughs> I keep interrupting you, but well, what comes great. to mind is there's this because I've been like listening to a lot of people, and I, these are all just perspectives. They're not necessarily my own personal views on things. But what was a interesting triangle somebody brought up on one of the videos I was watching was if you picture like a triangle, the top little piece is the top one percent of men, mm. and then the, there's a center section that's a hundred percent women. And then the bottom is 99% of men. And the idea is the 99% are looking at the top. They mm-hmm. want to be those men, but then also they want all women. Yeah. And it's a generalization, but in, in, in principle, it makes sense. And then there's a lot of women trying to get to that top 1%, right? Ha- have high standards and be those sorters for the very few that have actually put in the work to be those strong men, right? Mm-hmm. And then you have that top 1% that has such a abundance to choose from right what do you think makes that top one percent what do you think like they... makes the man yeah That's what are the qualities question. um oh there's the trifecta i for... oh, what is it it's like games uh physically strong having game which i think is better translated to it's having charisma big. yeah i think being charismatic not just with women being able to linguistically um talk with them and set them up for a date and be interesting to talk to on a date Mm -hmm. um but then also 
have the power to negotiate business deals and different things like that. That'll also help you in your career. I think having charisma is part of it. Mm -hmm. Um, the second is being physically strong. Um, there's, um, what, what am I trying to find? There's not women don't want exactly the bodybuilder type, but there's a high percentage of women that want what a lot of guys refer to as the, um, like swimmers build. Like you're not super huge, but you're nice and lean. You have yeah. muscle mass onto you. You're a strong guy. You're not overly big. Some women like that, but not all, right? So, but to be charismatic, to be strong. And then what was the third one? To have money. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. To be financially sound. Um, Security. Yeah. To have that free, which can be analogous to freedom, right? Mm -hmm. To have that ability to do things. Um there's an interesting line of like women don't care how much money you have as long as there's enough to be spent on them, whether like they don't care as long as the dinner date bill is paid, Pretty right? Much, yeah. Even if maybe that's your last 20 bucks, yeah. <laughs> but as long as it's an interesting idea where like, you don't need to be a millionaire. You just have to have enough money for her. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, but those three things are commonly referred to. And I think that sums it up for the most part, you know, I think, um, you get into a territory of like what the woman wants personally. And that's where you get some nice individual variation, mm -hmm. you know, lots different, of nuance. There, yeah. There's yeah. a lot of new, those are like, I think the generalities you can kind of strike up. Mm -hmm. And, and that's true across cultures. I think mm -hmm. generally for the most part, I notice like physical, physical attractiveness is whittled down to fitness and not like what you're born with. Yeah. Basically. Yeah. Yeah, which which is an idea that I've really been struggling with for my life is mm. trying to get over that physical attractiveness hurdle because I notice that, like, uh, other people and even in myself, it's a scary when you notice that you're treating someone differently because they you find them more attractive, mm. and it's something, and I've seen that in myself. Do at you have time. an example? Like, um, you can give. Like maybe you change just the tone of your voice when you're talking to someone physically attractive, mm. like someone you perceive to be attractive. Is that a bad thing? N no, but it's, it's, uh, it's, I, I wouldn't necessarily say that it's a bad thing, but it's, um, it, it's, it's, it makes me uncomfortable mm. that, that I can, because it means a lot at the end of the day. What does those little things that you if you treat people differently like those little things add up you know and I don't really know how they they add up I don't know how it works but like like it doesn't feel good when someone treats you differently more poorly yeah if they maybe think you're ugly <laughs> <laughs> yeah. well some uh a con the contrarian point on that would be we want to treat the people that have gone out there and changed themselves in a positive manner and treat them differently oh, yes. and treat them in a positive light right of course and so when your tone switches to somebody that has gained a better physique that means they've put a lot of discipline and time into the gym mm -hmm. if you meet somebody that's a little more wealthy they've figured out their finances and their own business well if you meet somebody that is linguistically very well and capable that means i mean there's some people that are born into some of these things but in general you meet somebody like that they worked on it they mm -hmm. they practice how they talk to people they worked out maybe they had a stutter different things like that mm -hmm. right mm -hmm. and so 
to me, I understand what you're saying where there's differential treatment, but I think like on a micro scale, that's fine. They, everybody, it's easy to say should have rights and and all that sense and be treated with respect. But I think a tone shift isn't that big of a deal. No, it's a small, it's a small and simple example, but I, I think I should clarify that I, I, people who work on themselves, like you can have the same person and, and you, they, there, there is, there is like the base person. And then you could have someone who's work, puts in the work to make themselves better. And Mm -hmm. people find that attractive and they see that that's not necessarily what I'm, what I'm talking about. Um, I, I think I am talking a little bit more about physical, uh, like initial, like, um, it's just, for me, it's like, I get scared because it, I feel like it reflects poorly on me if I'm treating someone different, um, based on the way they look or my expectations of them based on something superficial like that. I feel like I, I look, I look inward and I think, oh, that's kind of a selfish move because I see it as, oh, I'm trying to, I'm being nice to this person just because I think it'll benefit me in some way. And that's exactly what I want to avoid. Hmm. Like 100% of the time is that self selfish selfishness, I think. I haven't thought, I obviously haven't put in a lot of thought yeah. into it, but it's something that I've noticed. That's okay. Recently. We'll do it now. Um, <laughs> oh, okay. We can do that. <laughs> well, how much time you got? <laughs> <laughs> what came to mind for me with that is there's times, especially if you're trying to level yourself up, so to speak, mm. that there's a, um, outgrowing of some friends. Right. Mm. And what that is analogous to is, um, determining whether relationships you've have made and are reassessing or relationships you're currently making now are liabilities or assets. Mm. And if you're the type of person that is trying to get better, you need as many assets as you can in your life. Yeah. And randomly, I think this was yesterday on social media, I saw just a very quick clip of Snoop Dogg. And he was like, if you're here and you're with your friends here and you're getting to here, the only way to get back to them is to go down. Yeah. And okay. the only way for them to get up to you is for them to decide themselves to come up to you. Mm-hmm. But if you go down, then you're going down, right? Yeah. And you can't necessarily pull them up along with you. That's, no. that's their choice. That's you, you can try, but it usually doesn't work like that. There's a, there's that to circle back a bit, you shed that skin, mm-hmm. right? As mm-hmm. you will, as a snake, as you let those things die. Yeah. Um, and it's in the, um, with the goal above you to be better and you need things around you that are assets. Yeah. And so if you see somebody that has performed in something and achieved, then they are more likely an asset mm-hmm. and should be, in a sense, not maybe preferential is a bad word, but like they should be reaping the sows, the seeds that they've sown. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. If they're better linguistically, then they should have more friends. Right. Yeah. They're easier to be around. They're funner to talk to different things like that. That makes sense. That makes sense to me. Yeah. Yeah. Um, there, again, there are a lot of variables that I haven't, feel like I haven't taken into account yet, yeah. but what you're saying makes perfect sense. Yeah. yeah. And it's like, there is, there's, 
I say this and I think it should be said that there's a, there's a window of redemption mm-hmm. for people. I, I believe in that heavily. And, but that means that the person, I think there still needs to be some initiative taken on the person to then find that, seek that redemption to quit that bad habit and to become an asset to mm-hmm. the, those around them. Right. I see. Do you, have, do you have specific people in mind when you say that? Not, not directly. Um, I'm trying to think if I can come up with anybody. Um, I think like just in general, I mean, there's, when I started out in community college and I got in, interested in the self-help community, mm-hmm. there's figures online that continue to do, to run their brand, so to speak on, but I, in a way outgrew them personally. That's how it felt, whether I just heard enough of their content and they were just rehashing stuff and uh-huh. there was no use listening to that cause it was just echoes now. Um, and so they weren't leveling up their script, which if they're they're they can do whatever they want. If they don't need to, they don't need to. Right. But they then I found answer. other things. And then again, I also wanted more information on different subjects. Like I subscribed on my YouTube to many different people that produce like relationship content and different things like that. Cause within the last few months, that's where my interest was. And now lately I've seen myself unsubscribing to some of those just because I'm, I've, that was a season so to speak. Mm-hmm. And they're, they're more of a liability because they take up my time than yes. an asset because I learned from them. Yes. Right. So things come in waves as well mm-hmm. where maybe, I don't know, your friend right now was, is not interesting to talk to, but maybe they're in sales and in a few years you, want to rehire them because they could be an asset now in your company if to put some story together, you know, so things can come and go, but that means that that friend leveled up who they were. They didn't maybe level up linguistically and were more interesting to talk to, but they did level up career wise to where they're more of an asset, um, in the job market. Right. Right. So, um, it's, there's a lot of nuance within that. Right. Mm -hmm. But, but it is intuitive. It, I think, mm. I think it is intuitive because it's easy to see the benefit of having certain friends over, over others. Yeah. But then, and then there's a tricky part then of, um, when do you know you need to let go mm. of an old life? Yeah. Uh, I, I don't, and I could not speak on mm. that at all. <laughs> well, like that's where I think I've said this earlier. It's, there's a certain degree to what I try to do. That's just instinctual. Mm -hmm. I try to do what feels good, what I find meaning in. Um, I read this book where he, the author called it the muse where you try to find that it's what some people would connect to God or the great divine or the universe. Mm -hmm. There's many different names for it. Right. But chasing that. And then like I actually, yeah, here's a friend that, um, no names, but, um, hadn't seen them for months and we were really good friends. And then we get back and start hanging out and the issues, you know, with friends, you discuss issues, right? Yes. And the issues I brought to the table were totally different than what they were bringing me for me. It's like issues with how do I edit this? What is the correct equipment to buy? Like growing things, making mm. things better. Um, how is my writing? Are these sentences lining up? Is this a coherent point that I'm trying to put together? Um, how can I in a couple of years quit my nine to five job and figure out how to make money my own way? Mm-hmm. That feels good to me. Like 
those are my issues right now. And that's what I was wanting to come to the table with. And the issues they came to the table with was, um, this isn't exactly, but it's the spirit of it is like, uh, oh, this girl's boyfriend slept with this guy. Um, these two friends aren't talking anymore, at least for now, you know, in a month they'll be friends again. Yeah. It's a lot more social, a lot more, <clears throat> um, a lot more feelings based, so mm -hmm. to speak. Um, and I don't harp on anybody like that, but that's just not where I'm at. That's yeah. not what I'm trying to, I, I'll still listen and give advice. And to a certain extent, that's fine. Like figure out the relationships around you with some of those friends, There's but also for that, yeah. that's not where I'm at, you know? So that's like where I just want all my, I want all my friends to be assets, right? I don't or is it you want them all to be on the same page as you are? Well, if they're, I don't want everybody to have my same beliefs because I have friends that I like to challenge me because yeah. it puts me in my place but they're challenging me to be better and not just giving me airy fairy problems that aren't problems. Mm -hmm. So, so not maybe not to change your beliefs or to have the same beliefs as you, but the same priorities. Yeah. 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 Same interests or values or, mm. or even just like, I don't, I don't know how to say this. Say it the best way you can. <laughs> <laughs> like, I don't care necessarily about people's feelings. I mean, I do. Great start. <laughs> I actually, I really do, like, especially like friends I care about. And what am I trying to get at? I care about them when the people care about them, when people actually think deeply. Like, I have friends that actually are really trying to work out things right now, things from their past that they dealt with that are still influencing them now. Mm -hmm. And I'm so here for that. Like I connected, I have a scarcity abundance idea mm -hmm. of like how that influences how you interact with the world. And I just, I just said that and I didn't even mean it with any power t by it to a friend. And they were like, Oh, that scarcity idea. I'm completely connecting to how now I'm out of it, but I was in a, few years bouts of having eating disorders uh -huh. and that's influenced me and scared. So like I'm, and that's in a sense helped her a little bit of like understanding how she views the world, which is a bit scarce right now. Mm -hmm. So I'm here for that entirely of people that are genuinely trying to figure it out. But then there's also people that bring up issues just to gossip like we're talking about. Some people just like to hear themselves talk. That too. <laughs> I feel like I've been talking a little too much right now. No, not at all. It's, it's, it's valuable. Um, it's not just talk, it's thought, mm. but, uh, yeah, I am, it's a lot. <laughs> my, my brain is going too fast and, and I, I can't exactly articulate my thoughts clearly, but I'll try. Um, Any, just pick one. Yeah. Well. I, I see you as somebody that's trying to get better. What has that been like for you? Um, cause like you, you work out other, like we met climbing, but you also, I think work out right. And you're very well educated and you, while you're, you don't have a spiritual definition, you care about 
what that means to you yourself, your own spirit. You um, have divorced parents, but you still care about family in a certain sense. Like you put at least some thought into things. So what has that been like for you? I put my value as a person. I put I put all my value in the things that I can do mm-hmm. and everything that I can bring to the table. Mm. Not necessarily what I what I think about or what I what I feel about. Sometimes what I think about. Um, I I really really subscribe to the idea of be better than you were yesterday. Um, that's that's a big deal for me. Yeah, <laughs> one of my favorite fitness guys. There's many out there, but. Pat Mack is the idea of what if somebody cloned you today and the, or yesterday and you had to fight them today, uh, would you win? That's another good way <laughs> like of putting you it. You have your own assassin out for you. Uh-huh. Would you be able to stand up against you yesterday? It's yeah, I, I'm, I, that's an idea that's really important to me, but it's also something that is, is I'm finding more difficult to, it's, it's not sustainable. It's not oh. always sustainable. It, it's a good person to, it's a good thing to practice in moderation. That's what I've learned at the point that I'm at right now. Um, because if you're constantly, you know, on the grind or do trying to be better and and better than you were the day before and you, you'll start, you'll start, uh, setting unrealistic expectations for yourself. Because you see the trajectory of where you're going one day. And then the next day, you're not really going to be going at the same momentum, not always. But you'll still be setting the same expectations for yourself the next day. When you don't meet expectations, you're going to feel like shit. Complete and utter, sh- utter shit. And that that is just, it'll kill all the momentum. Mm-hmm. So so I, I, I think that it is important to practice, the, have those ideals, but practice them in moderation. And, and realize that sometimes... You just need to <laughs> let go of control. <laughs> um, I had I had a in my public speaking class. I had this commemorative speech, and I I thought up this really cute analogy that I that I really liked, and it was about foregoing control and being being okay. Bosh, do you ever worry about falling through the floor? No. At any given time well neither is the the water bug say mm. like when you look at a water bug and really watch it go it's not really f- freaking out it's not it's not you know flapping its limbs around wildly and and worrying about you know falling through the floor it's just it's trusting the water tension to hold it up because it's not even a, a factor when you're thinking outside of yourself too much and when you're thinking too forward and you're freaking out about things that that haven't happened yet or 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 thinking of tasks that you haven't failed to complete yet what you're you're you could drown i don't know how i don't really know how else to put it other than that but i i kind of like to think of it that way that was a very long and and roundabout answer to your question i've done that as well this (laughs) session so i it's the best way that I can that I can put it is is that you I, I really try to learn new skills and and um, and and progress and feel better about myself every day 
But at the end of the day, I don't think it's those things that are really going to make me happy. They're just going to make me a more competent person. I'm worried that in, in maybe 20 years, if I do have a perfect life, a perfect family and a perfect whatever, everything I've built is perfect, maybe I still won't be happy. And that's when I have to introduce the idea that you can't control everything. And by trying to be better every day, you're, you're, you're kind of developing like control issues for yourself. So that's the way I've been thinking about it lately. Do you know the philosophy stoicism? Uh-uh. Okay. You're speaking like a stoic right now. Really? Yeah. <laughs> Fuck. No, that's good. Oh, okay. No, that's not a bad thing. Okay. The One of the main tenets in stoicism oh, is you can only control things within yourself. You can't control outside of it. Mm-hmm. You can control how you react to things, but not what things will come to you. Mm-hmm. And I, you said that earlier as well, that I can only control what I do, right? Mm-hmm. Um, that, among many thoughts, came to mind. Um, I don't know if... I think maybe it comes with being very involved with something with a lot of time, but I think something there's having unrealistic expectations, but I was the guy I was talking to earlier today. I've realized this. I think almost I've been consistently lifting weights for almost a decade now. I think I I need to do the math on it when I'm not (laughs) thinking about, the podcast and everything. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's been a while. I've been going at it for a while. My dad got me into it when I was in middle school, which is 13 at the earliest, maybe 14, 15. So maybe I'm at eight or nine years in, mm-hmm. um, cause I'm up 22. Um, and right now I just have maintenance and progress days. Yeah. And it's a little bit different. I think because, and right now I'm doing crazy stuff with weights. I didn't realize they were crazy until, uh, I took a friend along lifting with me and they were like, was on the floor, what the fuck like, are dude, you doing, dude? <laughs> <laughs> um, crazy in what way though? What is it that you're doing? Uh, I like a lot of kettlebell stuff oh. and then I'm trying to perfect my muscle up and then climbing goals mm-hmm. and weight training and climbing goals yeah um which you're supposed to do a lot of body weight stuff for climbing but i want to maintain the strength gains i've had through weight training yeah uh have you seen the size of like the some of the best climbers we have like Alex. tiny yeah, yeah 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 i'm not trying to go for that yeah um, <laughs> i'm not huge but well, climbers build wise i'm not small um, correct <laughs> but you are tall you're long i am long i'm which six helps feet a lot. yeah well sometimes in those tight caves, I can, I can are sometimes hard on me. It's not always ergonomically friendly. Yeah, yeah that's for sure. On the slab, you excel. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. Um, um, or like side squatting, a seventy-pound kettlebell rocked mm. has been a goal of mine that I've been trying to do. Wow. Um, and I'm doing that right now for reps. I'm trying to do a double racked with two seventies. I'm at two sixties right now. Mm-hmm. Different things like that, um, muscle ups. But what I'm getting at is there's many days I go in. I'm like, because I track all my numbers. I'm like, okay, I did three sets of eight reps with this weight. Let's just do that again Mm -hmm. on my bad days. Okay. And so if I can do it last week on a 
good day, hit those numbers, and mm-hmm. I can do it this week on a bad day, hit those numbers, then the next week, if I'm feeling good, I can push those numbers. Mm-hmm. And so if it's a bad week and I just need to maintain, it's a maintenance day. Mm-hmm. That's what I say is like, just do the bare minimum, which if your bare minimum is a lot of things, then you're doing good. Mm-hmm. And then if you can push it on a progress day, increase those sets, reps, or weights, just like you do. Mm-hmm. Um, that's what came to mind. And then that idea of curbing expectations that you brought up, to me, it's a word I've been trying to figure out. I think I've gotten a little bit closer. I mention it often on the podcast just because it comes up. It was meta strength, but I think the word is closer to something like meta intelligence. Okay. And the idea, the meta part is the part I love, which is it's self-referential. And so it's understanding how, and intelligence is knowledge. Um, so it's the understanding of um, progressing. Like I think you like to do and I like to do is get better with our goals and different things like that. But then the meta part is it's self-referential to understand when you need those either maintenance days or when to back down on something, when you've bit off more than you can chew. I agree. Mm-hmm. So, um, that's what I've learned is, uh, people don't build in sustainability enough to their programs. And that's that meta part where it's self-referential so that it is stable, where it's constantly checking in with itself of, can I push it these days, this Mm -hmm. day, or is it a maintenance day? Yeah. It might be easier for you since you're more of a numbers guy and you can quantify it better than someone like me who just kind of. I go based on feeling like, like we, like you said, we met at the climbing gym and I, I, uh, not to toot my own horn, but I think I'm probably like intermediate ish. Mm -hmm. I, I never treated climbing as a sport that I wanted to like get better at, to be the best at, or to be really good at. But, um, I just started doing it because i really thought it was fun I thought it was really really fun and sending a project was one of the best feelings ever and I loved like whenever I could anytime I could have control over uh my body and the control when I'm climbing Mm. that was really important to me yeah that like high (laughs) from getting that but then I started enjoying it less because I would get other people's input and I let other people's input kind of sort of in a way dictate how much fun I would be having for the rest of the time because other people would have expectations for me usually. And, you know, I, I, they'd give me nicknames and say like, hey, can you sh- show me how to do this? And, and I, I like that. It makes me feel proud of myself. But, but it also makes it less, it makes it less fun for me because I, I just it feels less rewarding I think when when other people have set expectations for you and what you can do. What do you mean exactly within climbing? Like like when you get on the wall and everyone's watching you mm-hmm. <laughs> and sometimes when you get on the wall and it's just like everyone shuts up for a minute, I hate that. What? I hate that. I don't hear it. Do you like climbing with earbuds in? I do. Okay. Yeah. I Maybe that's something. I yeah, I mean I I maybe that is something. I 
it's not a big deal. I love doing it, and I, I love all the friends that I've made, and I love interacting with other climbers, especially climbers who are better than me. But it's just like, it's just, it's always expectations that seem to put a damper on motivation for me. Because at the same time, like from the other end, I love it when people say that I can't do something because, you know, spite is the best motivation. It's my favorite thing in the world is when you do something that you are successful in something that people say that you cannot do. I love that. So it's this weird duality that I think I'm still kind of figuring okay. out. I'll tell you you can't do sixes more often. What's that? I'll tell you you can't do V6s more often in the gym to help, <laughs> help pry you up there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I'm not that good. Not quite yet. You, Dude, yeah. Five, you're there. I'm, you're getting there. I'm getting there. I've We're at similar levels. I would say so. You got the, you got the height edge on me a little bit, but I got the weight edge on you. That's true. Uh, I'm fat as fuck. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I'm I'm little. I can I don't have a lot of a lot of weight that I need to carry, but yeah, that five I'll tell you that five to six is has been the biggest obstacle for me. I've been enjoying more sixes in our gym than fives lately. Like just yeah. like fun on a route. Mm. A lot more fun trying sixes even when you than can't fives. Finish it, huh? Can't even finish it. Yeah. But just the maybe it's just the enjoyment of the maneuvers or whatever. Um It's more stimulating. It's interesting to me. That you it you didn't directly, but gave a nod that you don't like people putting expectations on you in a sense that it's their fault. And it's interesting to me that you say it like that when you're a big it's my fault type of person. Mm-hmm. And what I thought about that as well when you said that was because what you were talking about is how I think of it is finding flow on the wall is uh-huh. where you lose the track of time and you're you're just one with the wall and in a very, um, very fun sense. I was going to say something else and the word escaped me. Um, where it's just like you, and if you do like a, like a three or four that, you know, you can do, Mm -hmm. but you really just play with your balance and handholds and stuff like that. that. It's like a dance. It almost feels like, right. Mm -hmm. Um, and you're just one with it and feel really flowy. Mm -hmm. And for me, I've been on climbs and get really cognizant of my, uh, pers- my perception, my blind spots. Mm-hmm. And I get, and that's me trying to look behind me, thinking about the people behind me. And what I'm thinking is like, why are you thinking about them? Focus on the wall. And I, I, I what I'm getting at, as I put it on me, I'm like, dude, you're, you're in your head now. You're not mm-hmm. with the wall. You're not in, the, in your body. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, Cause I get that too. But I, I'm saying to me, it's like, you There's something wrong with me. You don't buckle under the pressure. <laughs> I feel it because then my attention's not on the route I'm doing, especially mm-hmm. if it's a hard, engaging mm-hmm. route. It's on what they're... It first goes, my attention's on me, what they're looking at me, and then me on the wall mm-hmm. instead of me on the wall, which is a lot quicker and uses less mental energy, right? And some routes, you need a lot of mental fortitude sometimes to kind of grit through some things you know that's definitely true and i think that's holding me back (laughs) (laughs) it holds me back sometimes too but also it's fun to like cruise up a four or a five in front of people and they're like what even though there's there's now seven eight nine climbers that would blow me out of any of us out of the water you know either of us yeah um but it's also like I don't know where you were at where you started, but I was barely like a three climber. I had like the muscle there so I could kind of muscle my way up, but I didn't have like the balance or the um, techniques definitely there. 
Um, so watching people do threes was astounding to me. And now watching people do like sixes and sevens is astounding. It's just like a nice little ladder. Yeah. Yeah. I'm the same way. I was pretty much the same way when I was, when I started climbing, I started climbing like two years ago, I think uh, I had a coworker who really got me into it mm -hmm. and, um, I've stuck with it since. And, um, I think it is, it is really fun to have fun with the, the lower grades. Um, but the, like, I think the difference between the fives and the sixes is that you're just holding tension a lot more on sixes in my experience. Um, but, uh, hang on. I forgot, I forgot where I was, where I was going, what I was going to say. Um, oh yeah, I was, <laughs> cause it reminded me of what we were talking about earlier with having friends that are assets to you and, um, then there are people who are where they are and they're, they're, they're in their place, but you're not maybe like not on the same page or on the, in the same area as them. Liabilities. You could say that. You don't want to use, you, I don't you, like you feel that bad word. using that. Yeah. But yeah, I guess, I guess if you focus too much on that, I'm sweating right now. <laughs> you're good. It's kind of hot in here. A little bit, but, um, <laughs> but I, I would like I, I like to be around, I, I like, sorry, I'm going to take a step back here. <laughs> I enjoy climbing with better people who are better climbers than me more than I enjoy teaching other mm. climbers to climb. Mm. Um, just because of that idea of like, I'm getting better and I mm. can see that I'm getting better because I can, I can help other people and that's fantastic. And that was really rewarding to me at the beginning. But nowadays it, it's like the, the expectations that I was talking about, I get them more from the people who are not at my level more than I get from the people who are above me. And my eyes are more focused on the people who are above me because I'm trying to see what they're doing and I'm okay. trying to do that. I see what you're saying. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Those guys aren't quite liabilities then. I don't mean it like that then. I thought you were going to talk about something else. Um, I like both, personally. Mm. I really like seeing a V8 climber rip some a route up. Mm. And it's just like astound. Like there's a one day one dude came in, and I've seen him come in a bunch. I don't know his name, though. And um, the new set, a new set was up, and he just was like, okay, I'm going to do the zero, one, two, three, four. And mm -hmm. like with like maybe 30 second rest within like half an hour to an hour, mm -hmm. knocked out the whole wall, like V sevens and all. Yeah. And it was just like, as I'm like just plinking on my routes and stuff like that, I would just look and I'm like, holy shit, he's on the five now. <laughs> oh, he's on the six. Now. Oh, he's on the seven now. Like yeah. just like, like an assassin just took them out, you know? Um, it's really cool seeing those. Mm -hmm. They almost happen so fast that you can't learn anything. I know. You know, unless you ask them questions, which I try because to do. there's such a wide gap yeah. between you and them. You're like, I can't even perceive of how, <laughs> that, was, how that was done. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. But then I, I love it when people ask me like, hey, do you know the beta on this? Or um, how do you start this route? Or this move's really getting me. I love when people ask me I love for help too. on things. I, I, I love that too. But it, like, I don't desire it as much. Mm, I as... think it's the teacher in me. Uh, I think uh -huh. I have a teaching bone. Definitely, if you're the way that you were talking about having kids, yeah, 
Which is, I thought that actually, because you said, I don't really care so much for the teaching part. And I was like, at least not yet. I might get there. You know, I've got, you've got two years on me, I think. You're 20, well, no, you're 22. 22. You're 22. I just turned 20, 21 in June. So yeah, I might get there, but it seems like you, you've had that as a really core part of your, yeah. your, your, your character yeah. for a while. Yeah, so. I definitely have. I like teaching. A lot of men I've met enjoy teaching. Hmm. Not a lot of women. That's that interesting, right? It is interesting. But I've met a lot of people that don't plan on having kids, at least right now, our age. Some of it's like relating like climate and stuff and different things like that. I feel like a lot of it relates to our generation just generally feels overwhelmed more than more than other generations do. And it's, it's going to make me sound like a boomer, but... Like with the internet and and all of the news that's accessible to us right now, I I can imagine how people would look at that and be like, yeah, man, the the American dream doesn't make any sense in this crazy world. Hmm. Yeah, you weren't getting bombarded with notifications and updates on the current state of affairs when the hammer was invented. <laughs> like these yeah. all all these things are tools, but now the tools modern our modern tools that have been developed are all notification based yeah. in a sense. That's one aspect to them at least, right? Where the hammer was made and it was just made to hit nails easier and quicker and more efficiently. But now the phone's made and it's made to do all of those things it's and input. then some, and also inform you if you just subscribe to one thing, it'll tell you almost a wealth of information. Or if you just dive into one Google search, you can hit whatever you want. It's because the input is so variable. With the hammer, you just get that one input. And with mm -hmm. the phone, it's just like it's coming from every single direction. It's a Swiss Army knife. Yeah. Yeah. yeah Swiss Army knife. And yeah. A, a modern, modern Swiss Army knife. I read Permanent Record by Edward Snowden last year, and mm. it put a lot of things into perspective for me <laughs> technologically. So, <laughs> like, I'm a little jaded. <laughs> Do you try to be anonymous with your your internet with social uh, i don't after reading that did it make you feel it made me feel more worried but i did not change my behavior okay. based on it it's way too much for me to maintain because mm -hmm. i already don't really understand the the internet that that well and like it it's another thing where you, it touches everything so you have to be aware of every single Every move you make, everything you do, and everything, there's an app for everything. Everything's automated. Everything's online. So it's really difficult to maintain that. And I kind of just gave up. I'm like, yeah, whatever happens, happens. Mm -hmm. I will be aware of it so I can maybe prepare if I need to, whatever that would mean. But I'm, I'm not really making it a prior concern okay. for me right now. I want to circle back to something uh, with relationships. Okay. You might have some insight on this. I want to formulate the question well. Um, something like, I think it seems you said that you like a more traditional kind of strong man, right? I would omit the traditional, but yeah. Well, like traditionally based strong men were what came through history, right? Does that make sense? I guess so. So you want a strong man, 
which is traditional to I see in men. I just want a man stronger than me. Mm. Which is a, a traditional value. Yeah. Okay. That's all I was saying well, by traditional. I, too. I, I don't know. It's, I think the language we use is a little bit different, so it's making me hard. hard it, okay. It's harder for me to, like, I'm hesitating a bit. What would you use, I guess? Um, it, it, I, you know what, let's go with your, your thing. <laughs> it's going it's to be a lot of me, like, tripping over my words okay. and trying to explain okay. something that's very difficult for me to explain. <laughs> um. Where my head's going, and this is going to be a really patched question together. Um, Power through it. Um, it's something like there was a lot of validity to what are considered traditional values, and some of that's cultural, but some things are a lot of things are cross-cultural, and they worked for the times, and some, and arguably a majority of them still work to this day. But what one of the things my head's been in with the relationship stuff is um, how much does it need to be maybe adapted right now? And what to connect to some things I think that have changed is um, in general, societies have gotten a lot safer. Mm. So um, at least there's a lot more technology around for self-defense for women and also streets are in, depending on where you are, obviously, a lot safer to go out and be alone. And also, in the case of rape, there's still um, things to curb that, right, where you don't have to bear the child and different things like that. Yeah. Um, apart from that extremism, there's also just within dating itself um, with contraceptives that um, women can take and also men can take. There's uh, this allowance for a lot more sexual fluid fluidity with our, our society now. And that's, we saw the peak of that with the sexual revolution in the 1970s or eighties in the Western culture. Mm -hmm. Um, things like that, the advent of the birth control pill, um, society's getting safer. I think I had a, another thing I usually bring up when I think about this. Um, but different things like that have kind of changed what is commonly referred to as our uh, dating marketplace. Um, it's a maybe weird way to think about it, but it kind of works where, I mean, some people have higher value and higher value women are looking for higher, higher value men. Right. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of the idea behind it. What I'm constantly trying to figure out is what that looks like in general. Um, with also, I think society allowing more opportunity for women that's changed up the dynamic where you don't have to rely on a man necessarily to provide for yourself. You can go out and get a job and provide for yourself and make your own career out of things. There can be the career woman mm -hmm. these days and different things like that. So yeah, there's not really a question in that, but all these things have changed. And I guess what I'm trying to figure out is like, what traditions do we need to shift with that? What traditions do we need to keep is the idea. Cause I think some of the traditional things are good, Yeah. but there's such as, <laughs> um well <laughs> i think go ahead i think in for me personally i think in general the man should lead okay um i think that i don't want to speak my own personal beliefs particularly i think 
in general, a lot of people can choose their own free thing. I'm, I have a bit of a libertarian bone where I don't care what you do as long as you don't do anything negative towards somebody. You can do whatever you want. You're in Uh, good company. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, I think what I would want to see in a perfect society is just to have the most educated decision. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of where I'm trying to figure this out so that people are more educated in how they choose partners and friends and relationships and stuff like that is where I'm coming from with this. Mm -hmm. And I'm still trying to figure that out for myself. I think some people want that 50 50 split within a relationship. And then there's some still traditionalists that want a, more uh, man breadwinner. Um, mm-hmm. I'm still trying to figure that out within myself. I think that's where some of the hesitation is, is I'm not fully sure still to this day yeah. where I'm at. I will, I'm going to figure it out before I have kids because it needs to be sorted. Yeah. But that's why my head's in this space. Um, Interesting. Uh, traditional things like marriage, that's an easy one. Okay. Uh, kids have a lot easier time with a two-parent household. Um, you need your mom around, but you also need your dad around mm-hmm. for really strong development. Um, that's an easy one that I can say. Um, yeah. Now, what are the things that you would think to avoid on the other side of the coin? (sighs) Well, like in finding a partner, I mean, I think, uh, I wrote this line came to me weeks this last week. It was something like, um, in the last few decades, like, one, two, three-ish decades ago, we needed to find give more love to those that are hard. And what I meant by that is people that are in more of those rigid traditional values, mm-hmm. right? And then we've rubber banded and pendulum swung to the other direction where there's a lot more, um, the it's not a good word, but just like, lovey-dovey free flowy kind of stuff right now where Mm. there's not a lot of hard discipline to people right now yeah and it's swung the other way where you see the uh the gold star ribbons for just participating in different things like that where it's swung the other way where no you're good as you are which is the worst thing to tell i know a kid where it's like anyone yeah i'm depressed now this is the best i got what the what the fuck are you telling me like that's the, that's a horrible thing to tell yeah. a kid. It's like, no, you're not good right now and you have potential mm-hmm. and so, you are what you make of yourself. Yeah. 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 And you also have that redemptive element to do better. Yeah. Right. Cause when you're telling somebody that you are perfect the way you are, they, you don't see what they see when you're looking at you. Yeah. Yeah. That's I, a good point. I get what you're, I get what you, yeah. you're saying. Yeah. But, but I think in a recent history, we had a lot of rigidity with how, people thought you should be going to church and different things like that within our Western society and how, um, how men and women commingle and everything like that. You Mm -hmm. have, uh, I think personally, I think, and the data oddly enough supports it where you should be married before you cohabitate within a relationship, which is really interesting. And data supports that. And it's really interesting. I don't know if you knew about that. So you should, you should get married before you live together. Yes. Okay. Yeah. That's interesting. You have a higher chance of your marriage working out if you marry before. I have than heard after. that. I have heard that. Yeah. Yeah. That's and weird. Yeah. And I, it's hard to exactly make out what that is, um, but it is interesting. Um, we're talking about things being out of the steps. Um, mm. I know people right now that have been dating for six years plus 
have not even no mention of engagement mm-hmm. and are in the process of buying a house right now. Yeah. And to me, that's like as a man, Bad for me personally, how I would set my life up, that's a disrespect to the woman. Okay. I personally take that because I'm going to focus on my, if you're doing it for economic reasons or financial reasons to have some, um, land or whatever reason fine but like you do something when you cohabitate and not marry and how it was explained to me was (laughs) this is the quote it's um you're the best i can trick for right now and it's and because when you do that you leave the back door open because there's no um there's that legal attachment, but then also there's just that um, spiritual bond, whether you're religious or not, where you have a big congregation or small congregation of everybody you love in one place mm-hmm. and you in front of them, you tell them, I will be faithful to you. Mm-hmm. Like that in, in broad strokes is kind of what um, a marriage, getting married is, right? Yeah. And there's the legal stuff that comes with it and different things like that. But it's that fortifying of your connection to that person right Mm -hmm. and when you move in before you do that then you're saying you're leaving that back door open interesting right yeah and that's why to me it's a bit of a disrespect if you're going to be that serious and buying a house together which is bigger than living together but you're not you're serious enough to do that but you're not serious enough to close that back door so to speak and in front of everybody you know because buying the house is in a sense like behind closed doors right where if you invited all your family and friends and said you're the person i'm going to be with through thick and thin Mm -hmm. it's it's an interesting dynamic right i i i'm of the idea that they're still my friends and i'm interested to see where their uh story will play Mm -hmm. but it doesn't look good for you and you can even rely on statistics with that interesting okay so that is interesting i guess one more thing is like i for me personally as a guy i like to be the decider yeah and i'm still trying to figure out if i just need to be a major decider and the person i'm with is a major decider as well and we're just like making super decisions together as like the word like power couple comes up with where like 50 50 we're making crazy super decisions or if that manifests in me where i make most of the decisions and the other person is fine with going with it that's so for me it's figuring it out but personally as a guy i want to be making decisions i see how that meshes with the other person i'm figuring out currently Mm mm-hmm so do you think the people who, who do stay together don't get married and they are looking to buying a house together? Do you think those are like the 50-50 couples or do you think it's a mm. mix of them and then like what, what you're talking about mm. where it's I want to make the decision? Who do you think is making the decisions there? Like who wears the pants in the house? Yeah, I guess so. Like who decided? With that particular friend group or friends, it was the guy making the decision to go out and buy it. Okay. If that answers oh, your question. Oh, then I understand what you mean when you say disrespect. Oh, yeah. He was, okay. it was, because I was asking her and she was like, 
her phrasing of it was like he's doing all of it he chose the place and maybe he got her input right but and she's totally about it it's not like she's against it but Mm -hmm. like she's like no it's not me it's like it's that guy yeah right okay i i accept no responsibility yeah i just accept the benefit of a house yeah but it's weird that is weird. Okay, but now I understand. I was a little confused when okay. you were talking about disrespect because yeah. I know some people who like seem like they're both on board, who they're they're in a relationship and they known each other for like maybe a, they've been they've lived together for like eight years, a decade, whatever, and um, the and uh, they are looking into buying a house. Maybe they do get married, but they don't have the ceremony they just sign the papers i have i've i've i have one friend who her relationship is basically that way where they got married but they didn't do the whole ceremony it was just a very it was all formality mm-hmm. but they love each other and they've lived with each other for a while and they seem perfectly comfortable it seems like they're doing the 50 50 decision making yeah. there so do you think that is the same you're good. Do you think that's the same sort of situation? Would you feel like equally as uncomfortable with that as you would with uh, the situation w- w- with your friends where yeah. he's making all the decisions? So to start, I like, I'm like i just like all for people making their own choices. That's not personally how I would set my life up I, in that order of things. I would... I don't want like a big ceremony, but I want some because I think there is a nice symbolic element to doing that in front of those you love. Yeah. It, it, there's a level of sincerity. And that's why I use the word respect in the sense that you're very serious about a person. And if you're dating them, then if you're serious about them, then you should be respectful of them and make it a public thing. And right? respectful of their family. Too. Yeah. 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 Because yeah. you're not just marrying them. You're married. You're marrying into a family, right? Yeah. Is the idea of marriage. Um, so personally, I want to set my life up. I, I, I'm of. I, I like to be. Lately, I've loved the idea of just being an observer. Mm-hmm. Of like, I'll be here. I'm gonna add just a, like a little bit. Like, they signed their, they closed, the day before, last month the thirtieth, which this month was the start of quarter three. And we're, which was technically the first day of our recession within the U.S. And so I was texting them the 30th and I'm like, did you guys close on the house yet? And they're like, yeah, we just closed it today. And I'm like, tomorrow we're in a recession technically. And they go, what? (laughs) Um, So different things like that. Like I'm still going to feed them some like financial advice, a little bit unsolicited, but that's what friends do, you know, um, just to keep each other informed. Like I, I want, I like it when people tell me when I'm maybe not doing the best things, Mm. even just keeping me informed. Um, do you consider yourself a nosy person? No, no. Cause I, I, cause I didn't try to pry of like, why is he buying this house? Is he doing it to make up for other things? Is he actually doing it for economic reasons? I didn't try to pry. Mm. I was just like, all right, we'll have a housewarming party. Like I'm on board. I'm going to observe, you know, I, I'm not gonna affect their decision and place my values on them because that's what they value right yeah. is my tack to it um <coughs> and i know them well but um not enough to like sit them down and be like guys 
the statistics don't set up with this, like make a whole portfolio of why it's a bad idea. Like that's not my relationship with them. So there's no place for that. And at that point you're just accepting responsibility over their relationship too. And it's their relationship. Yeah. And their responsibility to each other. Right. So, um, that would be, yeah, that would be overstepping boundaries. Yeah. And I think it works for some people, but some is not the majority. And that's what I'm trying to figure out. Mm. Right. The, The exception is not the rule. Yes. So, um, with your friends that I think you said were together before they got married for like a decade and cohabitated and possibly did a lot of other things that are contrary to evidence and they're working out right now. Great. I'm happy for them. You Mm -hmm. know, um, just the caveat I would say to that is like, that's still at least the cohabitation thing I know for sure is not supported by statistics. Okay. Yeah. I don't Um, know the statistics, but the, I've, the more people that I've met have been like that i've met more people like that than not yeah i think yeah so of the cohabitation variety yeah i i've i've met more people who are kind of 50 50 type relationship than the Mm -hmm. you know one is one is leading so i i couldn't really speak on that yeah that very well that's the one i know for sure that and like marriage is good for kids i know those two statistics pretty well mm-hmm. um so for them if they're all they are actually happy it's tough to say like who's actually happy and everything like that you mm-hmm. know um <clears throat> and some guys really enjoy that 50 50 split some guys enjoy the woman making more decisions i'd say most guys like to make a lot of decisions yeah um so there's a tricky balance between that um I feel like I'm getting interviewed at this point. Like, I feel like I, you I switched just, the tables on me. <laughs> a little bit. I'm trying to, I want to understand your position before mm. I even attempt to, you know, prescribe or. or. Well, we give, could just like have a, a thought bubble on this as well. Yeah. Like, well, I'm not looking for an antidote. I know. I, this, is, this is something that I don't think about nearly as much. And I need to think about more as my my sad, sad future comes ever closer. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's the tricky thing with being a woman is you kind of have to figure this out kind of quick. Like for me, I could have kids at like 40, 50, 60. I've heard of a guy having 170 or 80. Yeah, my friend's, yeah, my friend was, his dad is was 70 when he yeah. was born, yeah. Yeah, so as a guy, like it's a lot lower ratio, but there's not you're in menopause at that point as a normal woman you know yeah and so for you guys it's kind of deciding at the latest by 30 is like a number i hear often you know yeah which is yeah which is why what we were talking about women have to be a little bit more choosy yeah it's like this is this is the person that is going to determine the trajectory of my kid's future and in my future and my security um yeah i had a i had a lot of that thinking growing up of wondering about that and a lot of my mom kind of drilling that into my head and the values here in the west are a little different than the values that my parents taught me like i mean that's a whole nother conversation i'm curious oh oh yeah well here's something that came up (laughs) recently actually for me uh there are a lot of things (laughs) that Americans find weird about my culture and a lot of things that we find weird about our culture our culture yeah yeah <laughs> and I keep saying we they you I 
you know what I mean? It's yeah. a language, but because you have a foot in both yeah. spaces, so to speak, right? Pretty much, yeah. And um, and speaking on cosmetic surgery mm. in the West, the view of cosmetic surgery in the West versus the view of cosmetic surgery in the East, it's a little bit different. When I was growing up as a Persian girl, uh, one of one of the like I guess rites of passage, so to speak, for Persian girls is rhinoplasty. We have a really, really distinct nose shape, and um, and I'm perfect example. But uh, <laughs> when I was so when I was younger. That's not really a thing here. It's our valleys are in different places. But um, when I was younger, like when I was 16 or 14 or so, I remember my dad would tell me, like, when you when you turn 18, I'm going to find you the best surgeon, you know, and I'm going to take you to Iran and I'm going to find you the best surgeon. And we're going to he's going to Amal, he's going to do sur- surgery on your nose and correct it, so to speak. And uh, uh that was just like a normal thing. And so when I would say that, or when that would come up in conversation with my Western friends, they'd be like, what the fuck, you know, what is that? Uh, and as I was growing up, I, I just kind of learned to consider it as like a, oh, you know, dad, whatever. I guess that's your thing. That's your, your boomer values. Um, <laughs> okay, boomer. Okay, boomer. <laughs> And <laughs> recently, <laughs> recently, <laughs> my dad just tells me fun little jokes from his Facebook page, but your dad wanted you to get plastic surgery. It's like having braces in Iran. Oh. It's that that's Did the you way get it's it? treated. Did I? Did you have the surgery? No, dude. Look at me. Okay. <laughs> look at me. <laughs> this is no, this is not the nose I would choose first of all but what, is, like, what is that like how far does that go back or what does that mean like why the nose i have so many questions i do too but <laughs> i I'll, I'll i could give you a better answer later but i think um i i think it is a relatively modern as soon as we discovered plastic surgery mm. we we it's like the sim similar to how korean people uh, you know they have surgery on their eyes to make them look more like western eyes or stuff mm. like that as soon as we discovered what we can do what we can make ourselves look like with with plastic surgery it's it's like we it's just a mixture of different things in the the, the paradigm of beauty and yeah. like what we consider beautiful depending on where you are i, I guess Iran, we have circumcision <laughs> yeah circumcision um that i guess that is co- cosmetic That's our- it's not plastic. It's just uh, they cut a bit off. I was yeah. thinking more along the lines of like breast and and mm-hmm. uh, like that sort of plastic, where it's like body modification. In the West, I think it's more that way. And like with older people, you get the facelifts and celebrity. Yeah. You hear all kinds of stuff yeah. from celebrity remedies. So it's like that, but. Straight teeth is another one. I mentioned braces. Straight teeth is a hu- like very desirable in the West. It's not the same in the East. They mm-hmm. don't really care about s- straight teeth. In fact, I think in China they prefer like the snaggle tooth or something like that. <laughs> I've heard that. I don't know if it's true, <laughs> but in in the uh, in in Iran it's just more beautiful to have a smaller nose, and 
that that's popular. So basically, it's like I call it like a rite of passage. It's basically just like getting braces. After you hit a certain age, it's usually expected that women get nose jobs, and it's like nothing. Um, I didn't really care for that as I was growing up, and I thought it was. I want to get to this. I thought it was just my dad, but like recently, my mom brought it up. Cause like recently, recently. Yeah, like. Oh. Twice, but <laughs> with, with like a couple of months in between. But I thought that it was just a man thing, you know, that mm. m- Iranian males were picky about that. And I was like, well, you know, like, who cares what they want? I'm me. And then r- relatively recently, um, before I turned 21, actually, it, it may have even been when I was 19, 19 or 21, my mom said offhand she was like oh i really want to find a good surgeon for you to so we can we can fix your nose and it's and that made me so sick when i heard it (laughs) i was like i couldn't eat for the rest of the night i felt Mm. awful because that realization set in that it's like this is not just a man thing this is like a full cultural thing and the women are on board yeah. Yeah. And then and then recently, like a month ago or so, she's like, "Okay, yeah, next time we go to Iran, you've got to get your your nose mm. your nose done, or like, or if you want to, they always do that, like if you want to, you know, because they don't want to force you, of course, but there's an expectation there that you yeah. do. But it's going back to what we were talking about about the, like the dominant social paradigm and how um, you asked what makes it different for the east and and in comparison to here in the east there is a huge emphasis on having that traditional family and marrying into money rather than marrying for love based on love or or anything like that connection connection yeah yeah. it's more just a business agreement which yeah like is which is why many parents get divorced and why also why it's very difficult for women to get divorced in iran and in the East in general, as opposed to for men, it's very easy for them yeah. to get divorced. So the women have to be choosy, especially choosy there. Yeah. So I don't know if that answers your question. I don't remember my question, to be honest. I think I think how, what you asked that got me on this tangent was how is the how is it different? And I thought of the most personal yeah. example to me. Yeah. How do you like? Do you plan on getting married or like? You, we've talked about kids, but like for yourself personally, because you've kind of had one foot in both regions, right? Mm-hmm. So both have kind of rubbed off on you a little bit. Yeah. What personally do you? I do think I want to get married, but I think I want to do those things later as opposed yeah. to soon. I'm no, I'm in no rush. Yeah. I'll, that is one of the things in my life that I have foregone control of. And I think that that is one of the things that is going to come to me when I am ready or when when I can handle it. Yeah. You know, it's not something that's right in front of me. But I do, I would like to get re- married. Kids are neither here nor there at the moment. But um, <laughs> I, I'll tell you this thing. I don't think I want to get married to an Iranian yeah. man. <laughs> For sure not. Not just because of the things that I got into, but like his mother. <laughs> <laughs> Persian mother-in-laws are the worst. <laughs> They're the worst. <laughs> Queens of gaslighting. No, no one's ever good enough for their son. Yeah. So, yeah. Um. Wh- wh- why marry? 
if you're not planning on having kids. Right? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I haven't thought about it that deeply. Because like you could just have a, this is my boyfriend for a while if you wanted to. Yeah, I don't want that though. Yeah, there's something, why not? There's, because there's something really valuable in having a companion mm. who you would die for and who would okay. die for you. So that level of, like we talked about, sincerity and respect and yeah, um, yeah all those different things. Mm-hmm. There's there are very few things I think in the in life that are better than knowing that you have someone you would die for. And mm. for a lot of people, for just about everyone that is kids. Um, when I well, mm. yeah, that's yeah. interesting. A lot of people would say I would die for my kids. Yeah, but for you, it seems like it's more I would die for that hypothetical husband, right? Yeah. Because it's something that is more accessible to me than kids are, I think. Hmm. I don't, yeah. It just, my my mind conceives of it better than kids. Because when I look at kids, I don't really feel that much. But your own kids. But your own kids. You pop the, you bake those and pop them out yourself. I know. Yeah. That's that's your superpower. That's <laughs> I, No, I, I can't yeah. do that, you know? Yeah, that's true. I can't. That's true. I can... Spread my seed, for lack of a better term. Yeah. But I can't do any bacon. <laughs> oh God. You know what I mean, though. I do know. What you know, you mean. I I have the I have the starter yeast. Oh. <laughs> that that sounded better in my head. That's but, awful. But you're the one that can bake it. Sure. <laughs> sure. I never. I. Yeah, I I think I don't I don't I don't see myself as a woman. I see myself as like an individual, mm. for for lack of a better term. I see myself as me, and I don't really I don't really accept. Um, I'm not necessarily proud of what I was born to be. Like the expectations, are you talk? What do you mean, born to be? I mean, like I'm not proud of being a woman. I'm not proud of being uh, Iranian. I because I didn't do anything. I didn't do anything to earn. You know, I would have to earn pride yeah. for that. I mean, in the words of like George Carlin, like respect should be earned based on the things that you do, and and not necessarily what you are. And so my entire life, I basically see myself that way. Mm. I I don't really see myself as like a creature that can do this thing by virtue of birth. I more put my value, like I said, I put my value more on like the things that I can do outside of yeah. what the expectations are of someone of my species, gender, race, mm-hmm. whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, what I think of when you say that is I... I think it's better on a side thought in a sense to assess how much somebody is a Christian based on their, uh, actions and mm. not what they say. But I take that to anybody. Like I, I don't, you can listen to people, but if you really want to know what they're about and what they value, you look at what they do. Right. Mm-hmm. There's a difference between what people purport to believe and what they actually do. Yeah. Where they put their body. Yeah. What spaces they go in. Uh, I don't think people should lie. Therefore, I have never lied. Hmm. Was that a lie? It's just an example. 
<laughs> Never lied? I've, I've lied. Everyone's lied. There you go. Everyone's lied. There you go. But that's the principle I'm getting at here yeah. where it's like what you say that you believe. No, I always tell the truth. It's yeah. like, no, the fuck you don't. Yeah. You lied to me yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Um, no, I, I have definitely, what was I? I was thinking about this Friday. About Christianity and, and hell. You want to talk about Christianity? Oh, no. What were you saying? No, no, no. I was saying, I was trying to go back to what you were talking about to help jog your memory. Oh, about. no, 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 no. On Friday, I, I, I'm, I'm, I believe everybody's my friend, but the good friends that I want to keep in my close circle, um, there's people that like do things that are very casual about them and they just do them for fun. And it's fine when they take a week off. And if you want to set your life up like that, that's fine. But the people I want around are the ones that constantly want to get better at their hobbies mm. that want to reach that next level that, that enjoy what they do, but then also that pursuit of the next level and beating your yesterday clone mm -hmm. is really big to them. Right. Yeah. And I like those kind of people because like I was at wooden mountain climbing with other friends. Yeah, how was that, by the way? It's a really cool gym. I highly recommend it. There's some really creative sets and fun sets. Um, Do I'd they say, grade harder than? I'd say they're at least a half grade to grade harder than our gym. Yeah, most gyms are in R in my experience. Ours are sometimes very soft. Yeah. The, sometimes par to soft. I agree. Are great. So universities, they're they're expecting everyone to come in, and you know, there's tall people, short people, whatever. Anyway, continue. <laughs> um. The people there, like my friends there, uh, took at least a week off, which is fine, but they're, I wouldn't be okay with that personally. From I would, climbing, you mean? yeah, I would give myself gr for a lot of things. I would give myself grace in mm -hmm. that, but I wouldn't necessarily let it sit with me well because I like to have that barb in my butt or, um, that fire under your that ass, fire, yeah. that fire to be like, I got set back this week yeah. i need to i need to work keep working right that's what i like because to get to that next grade whether it's climbing or to be better at crafting a sentence that i like to write or better at having a conversation with this or anything like that mm -hmm. um is big to me and i know people that go to their work that like that work in a grocery store and don't plan on staying there the rest of their life, but they give their all every time they hit that eight hour shift mm. of wanting to be the best grocer they can. Um, and so I appreciate people like that, that really put their heart and soul into things, even in work, maybe they don't enjoy, but they want to be the best at while they're there, you mm. know, but you don't fear burnout because you have maintenance days. Yeah. Maintenance. Yeah, 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 mm. yeah, yeah. Having that meta intelligence of understanding, okay, I'm not going to push it today. I'm going to do my bare minimum bare minimum depending on who you are you know that could be still doing a lot of things but just doing them on average or average for you but still try to hit them um because some people will say i don't feel good today i don't have to do anything it's a it's a slack day for me and if mm -hmm. that works for you fine again like i'm more speaking from personal i would get more down on myself and lose more ground if i did that instead of trying to stand my ground or instead of most days pushing three inches, I push a inch, you know, mm -hmm. I think like doing it is maybe that inch, right? Cause putting action into the world sometimes is very hard. Yes. Yes. It usually is. I agree with you. I agree with you 100%. Um, and, and then it's just, uh, 
that small issue of like how do you quantify that and which is different how, yeah. do, how do you quantify actual progress which is different between people and between hobbies and grades with uh weightlifting like you do it's very linear mm. it seems but with climbing not so yeah um i said it kind of earlier the restate it it helps when i've been doing it for almost a decade now mm-hmm. that you you know your you if you're paying attention you know yourself in it and everything but you know with climbing like on friday it was a good day for me i was sending some fives within that gym and fours and stuff like that mm-hmm. which is a good day for me especially on a gym that's harder than what i'm used to you know yeah um and also it's tricky when it's like a one-time thing because you can't project things yeah. so you have to take that so different things like that you just take into account if it's like your normal gym and you're going to it and you're like this is an off day then like someday like i've battled tendonitis not tendonitis um an overworked right bicep tendon a few times climbing Mm -hmm. and just understanding not pushing that and then taking a week off is a lot better than busting a tendon and having to um take a month of recovery or more months tendons are crazy they take a long time so since you don't really get them back yeah yeah so yeah i think that answers your question of just kind of maintaining or like when it comes to pain easily back off of that Mm. but there's a difference between pain and being uncomfortable yeah that's a that's a i think something there's a term in uh, that they use i think in the military that's like are you hurt or are you injured yeah 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 exactly i've heard that actually yeah yeah um and those maintenance days it's like the maintenance days are when you're injured Mm -hmm. and you just need to limp by but do you have to push it until you're injured or can you like no forecast that injury (laughs) and be like all right i'm gonna slow it down a bit i'm really good about yeah yeah i'm really good about my weightlifting um I haven't had any major tears or anything like that in my muscles. Mm -hmm. And that's partly because I don't, I haven't really gone for numbers like big heavy squats or deadlifts or bench presses. Uh, Personally, like I've worked, I've worked the Olympic lifts often. I haven't exactly recently, Um, but pushing the numbers can really hurt you um, because it's, I mean, on the professional end, squatting over a thousand pounds is pretty wild. Right. And so, um, thankfully I haven't had any tears like that. Um, generally it, it, with that particular issue, it comes down to sleep and recovery. Um, it just means I'm not recovering enough and I need to sleep a little bit more so my body can re, um, repair itself. Mm-hmm. Um, so that helps out a lot. been trying to emphasize sleep a lot with me and having quality sleep as well as quantity of sleep. Um, sleep is so crucial um there's this sleep scientist that i'm interested in i I might know who is it i forget his name but if you remember um what is he wrote a book he did um he would he he spoke about sleep quality and how um you you reach like god it's been so long since i reviewed any of the literature any of his work but like you you talk about rem sleep and how um when you reach matthew walker 
Yeah, yeah. Sorry. Yeah. REM sleep, go ahead. Um, well, I mean, if you haven't pulled up, I probably would recite this rather badly, but like if you, if, if you have poor, like poor sleep equals shorter life, Mm -hmm. that's basically the spirit of one of the, one of the uh, things that he was talking about is that bad sleep literally takes, knocks years off of your life. Mm -hmm. And, um, if you don't have, uh, like a good enough sleep, you can't, if you have very poor sleep, you cannot make up for that deficit fully, Mm -hmm. you know? So it, it scares me into sleeping, (laughs) but I, I'll say as a person who struggles a lot with getting to sleep, it's very, Mm. it's very interesting to read, to, to read about that stuff because like sleep and having quality sleep improves your memory, it improves your performance, Mm -hmm. your, your health, everything overall. I mean, how many car accidents have happened due to a lack of sleep over, you know, like drunk driving. That's something that I feel every day. I struggle a lot with sleep. (laughs) (laughs) Um, For me lately, an eye mask and a noise emitter has been very helpful. I have an eye mask and earplugs. Okay. Ear pro. (laughs) You go the opposite way. I like a lot of chaos in my room with brown noise playing. Occasionally, see, brown noise, white noise, there's all these colors associated with them. I don't get it. (laughs) Um, What's the difference between brown noise and white noise? To me, brown noise is a little deeper, like in tone. It doesn't make you shit your pants, right? No, that's the brown note. Yeah. (laughs) Anyway. (laughs) I know exactly what you mean by that. Yeah. (laughs) Is that real or is that fictitious? I think that's bullshit. I would love for it to be real. I would love for it to be real too, because you know at the automatically you could definitely create an instrument (laughs) (laughs) but yeah sleep is huge that's how i know if i'm not getting enough sleep and i'm not keeping up on my hygiene which is a lot of showers Mm -hmm. i know i'm pushing things too hard those are my gauges how many times a day do you shower depends on how much i'm working out if i work out usually i'll shower after because i'm sweaty Um, so once a day twice a day oh shower at most once a day I, mm. I don't think i shower twice but i know i'm pushing it when like i work out and then have to eat and then i'm like shit i need to go to bed and then skip the shower even though it takes less than 10 minutes mm-hmm. and go to bed yeah. and then because i because in my brain i'm like i'm gonna get sweaty again tomorrow like can i just not and then i have done it i don't prefer i try not to prefer to do it because then i slip on hygiene and i'm a slob mm. Yeah, I'm quite anal about that. I, I shower twice a day, sometimes three times. Three times. Rarely three times. Okay, there was... You're there, the opposite in me in that, in a sense. I, well... What is that? That's it, interesting. I... Is that a disgust sensitivity? Well, not necessarily. I think I feel... I sweat a lot. I sweat a lot too. Yeah. I'm sweating now. Me too. <laughs> I'm sweating a ton. <laughs> yeah. It's too hot in this room. It is. It is. It's quite warm. I, as soon as you turned the camera on, I was like, is this, am I just nervous or is it really hot? <laughs> but yeah, it, um, I, I, I sweat a lot and it, I just, I just hate feeling sticky. That's, that's all it comes down to. I just don't like feeling sticky. And like also as a woman, hygiene is like, I'm, 
I, I feel like I I have to be way more careful about hygiene as well as a, as a woman just because I'm secreting more stuff just in general. Um, I I don't really shower three times a day very often anymore. But when I was wasn't in school and I was working full time, I would usually shower in the morning. Then uh, after work I would shower and then I would go work out or do fuck all and then I would shower once again at Damn. night <laughs> okay and wow. usually pretty quick showers too i waste so much water i my are you soaping up every time yeah okay yeah that sounds like a lot but i don't wash my hair every day okay i wash my hair like every other day every three days yeah okay does that is that time intensive or are you pretty quick about it i'm usually pretty quick about it but i it could be it i mean it it would save me a lot of time if I would just go with the one shower, but mm. I'd feel grimy all day. So, let me lay a question on you. Sure. Uh, what is, what are some life changing events that have impacted your identity the most? Um, so I'm uh, I'm a zoology major, and I've really always always loved animals ever since I was a very young child. Uh, the immediate thing that comes to my mind is an experience that I had in Iran and it was at a wedding and um, all my friends know the story because I can't (laughs) shut up about it but um, traditional Iranian weddings they would have they would bring out a lamb and traditionally they would slaughter the lamb at the wedding it would represent you know prosperity and good fortune for the 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 couple and i didn't know that i was seven years old (laughs) so i go outside and i see this lamb and i make friends with the lamb because i didn't care much for talking to other people and i've always been that way i was always the kid who would go you know find your dog and hang out with your dog or a cat or whatever i'd be chasing all around the house oh no yeah (laughs) and so (laughs) i made friends with this lamb and I loved it. I loved it for like the 30 minutes that I... <laughs> uh, but I didn't know. I was like, oh, look, an animal. And I was having the time of my life. And um, this guy comes out. And this adult man. And he's been drinking, I think. By the way, in Iran, you're not allowed to drink. They do it anyway. Yeah, on the low. On the low, yeah. The you're, low, also, low. you're also not supposed to sell pork. But they're starting to sell pork under the table Mm -hmm. um but came out and he was like oh what are you doing and i was like i'm playing with the lamb and i was petting it and stuff and he was like you know their tradition is that they they kill the lamb at the end of the wedding and i was like no (laughs) like no uh and and i was like really really worried that so my mom comes out later on and I'm like crying. I'm like, mom, don't let them kill the lamb. And I was really upset and I was sobbing. She's like, no, 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 no. It's okay. They're not going to kill it. They don't kill it. It's just, they bring the lamb out here to show, you know, to show. And then the lamb goes away. He goes to a farm and he's really happy and whatever. Anything that you would say to a kid to make them stop crying. And uh, so she's like, just come inside, just have fun. And eventually, I guess I agreed to come back inside. And when I went back outside, the lamb was gone. And 
I was like, where did it go? Yeah. Where did it go? And I was like, fuck, they killed it. <laughs> <laughs> I was so sad. You so, knew at seven they killed it? I was so sad. Yeah, I knew because I didn't know what else could have possibly happened to it. Because I knew at that point even that my mom would lie to me to pacify me. Every kid knows that. Yeah. And when she was like holding me while I was crying, she's like, it's okay, let's go for a walk. And I remember the air was really nice and fresh. But I was just walking, walking down and I was really sad and I was crying. And it was just like blood. Mm-hmm. And then two feet later, and then I, and then it was like a lot of blood, and then there was a little piece of this opal-covered like intestinal tract that was just on the street, and I fucking lost it. It was like blood on the streets. This poor animal. Yeah. That I think was a really life-changing thing for me <laughs> as a kid. I don't know if it actually. I don't know how much it dictated of my life of what my values are because I still eat meat. I like to eat meat. I can, I can kill an animal if I need to. (laughs) (laughs) With my bare hands. With my bare hands. (laughs) No, I'm, I'm hunter certified. I can do all those things. I'm perfectly comfortable with that nowadays. But like, I don't know when I was a kid, it was just like feeling that loss and having no control over what would happen. That was a major learning moment for me. Just, it was just, yeah, it's just the loss and the, the grief. And I made a painting that's kind of based off of those feelings. And I'll, I might show you later, but a picture of it, but it's like, it, it's like all of those feelings that I felt that are associated with like pain and grief and loss. And that, that is, that, that was the moment that I, I could, later on put a reason to why i felt that way hmm. so yeah that's can boring. i show the painting like, yeah of course cool. of course sweet i could bring it next time if you want that yeah that'd be awesome mm-hmm. um do you have any final thoughts or anything else uh, that we like is there anything you want to talk about or anything um i think no but i have a lot of I, i'm very satisfied (laughs) for today i'm very satisfied oh for the for the talk yes for the talk i'm very satisfied i i think i got out pretty much everything that i wanted to say okay for the most part okay yeah you're just happy to be here is that what you're saying i'm very happy to have a conversation (laughs) (laughs) uh i don't yeah i can't think of anything else at the moment okay how's about that question this question right here yeah this one, this little guy right, right oh, here. Who did? <laughs> um, what was it? <laughs> Do you think Americans share a sense of unity, or has it been, or has it become polarized? I think he's talking contemporarily. Yeah. That's actually interesting because you are, you have both feet. That identity. I think in a country that is as large as America, it is impossible for everyone to be on the same page with the population that we have because uh, so there are so many people in this country, so many, and they come from different backgrounds, and their only reason for coming here is the place that they were there at before was worse. 
Um, I think that I think that it's become a lot easier to fool ourselves into thinking that we don't have the same values anymore. Because I think in reality, Americans are all generally feel similarly about certain things, but it's just the 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 antidote to the things are what make that polarization really apparent. So um, it's not a question that I could give a very direct answer to, but I, I, I don't feel like America is very united at the, at the mm. moment, yeah. uh, depending on your definition of what that means. But I'll say we have a, we have a flag that a lot of Americans care very much about. And that's not something that I see in other countries. Citizens of other countries don't care about their flag as much as Americans do. So I think we do have some things that unite us. But overall, I, I think it's easy. We've kind of fooled ourselves into thinking that we're not all, you know, people who have a kind of a universal code of ethics yeah. that we operate under. Yeah. And I think that's just part of yeah uh, being a two-party system and yeah yeah, that's another conversation on its own so (laughs) this is about this is a bit divulging from that a bit but i've known friends they usually are in the university and they um hate the flag Mm. but still live here which i find interesting um and I, i i actually do mean hate like they genuinely have discussed for America mm-hmm. and they they were born here and raised here and their parents most of them were born here and raised here as well yeah um and it's it's that I think you know the type of person I'm kind of describing I do. um I'm intimately aware <laughs> yeah where I I know people that threw a Halloween party on the recent 4th of July as a bit of like a spoof on it that it's like a I don't know exactly how they wanted to phrase it, but like they didn't want to celebrate it with red, white, and blue and flags and sparklers. They Mm -hmm. wanted to celebrate it with costumes and a a flavor of disgust for it as well, which was interesting to me to hear that. So what do you, what do you think about that? Cause there are, I think there's a lot of people that like the flag, but then there's, I know people that really are disgusted by it right now. For their own reasonings and there's nuance on that but yeah i i know exactly what you're talking about and i think it represents ultimately something different to them the flag does than it than it does to Mm. the people who were responsible for raising it and the people who were responsible for um protecting it um i think that it's because the flag to people who are young like us more represents is more representative of i think the government than it is of the actual populace Mm. and that's something that i learned from iran again because if you burn an iranian flag in iran iranians won't give a shit because it's representative of their government not really of their own values Mm. so i feel like people that are our age and despise the flag despise it for the same reasons that are that to that where they feel like the the flag doesn't represent their values in fact it represents the antithesis of what their values are 
And so for that reason, I think maybe they, they kind of, maybe they create like a, like a straw man out of the flag. Yeah. And, and it's not so much of a, uh, they're, they're, they're trying to, they, they have a desire to talk to people who do love the flag and who care about protecting it and the values uh, that it represents, I feel like it's more they're they're trying to talk talk over the values that they associate with that flag, that are in conflict with their own. Yeah, yeah. Um, maybe it's not a correct way to phrase it, but in a sense, are you happy to be in America or proud to be in a partly an American or within the Western culture? Again, I wouldn't use the word proud just yeah. because it's just circumstance, but I am very happy to be here. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I am extremely glad that I am here. Yeah. Iran would have sucked. <laughs> <laughs> to say the least, right? To say the least, yeah. But out of all the things that I'm thankful, you know, my, my father or whatever, I am at least very thankful that he made the decision to come here because he wanted me to be born here because he wanted me to be born in a free country. Mm. And Iran does not is not a free country. It's a dictatorship. And um, I, I am so, so, so thankful for that decision mm-hmm. because I do not think that I could have reached the, the potential that I have right now and whatever potential that lies in me for the future. I don't think it would have been as easy to yeah. reach if I wasn't in America. Yeah. So I'm very happy for that. Awesome. That's good to hear. Yeah, I'm always curious because there's natives here so to speak that Mm -hmm. really despise it but then every time i talk to people that are transplanted so to speak they're always very happy to be here so it's funny yeah the alternative sucks yeah (laughs) (laughs) i i think there's a flavor there or an idea there that they haven't experienced fully what that alternative would be Mm -hmm. and there's a less gratitude for living here yeah and don't get me wrong it's not the same thing as as loving the flag or loving mm-hmm. the united states government i am extremely skeptical of our government yeah, and any too. government and yeah i think that's healthy and i think that's necessary yeah um but it's a different it's just a different conversation because yeah. that's a manufactured thing as opposed to what we're living which is not really a manufactured thing that's why i figured out from my personal life that politics getting involved in them being informed in that way was kind of a waste of time for me for yeah. a little while. It was because that's all such manufactured nonsense in my mm-hmm. head that I can't get on board without feeling like, you know, an ape. <laughs> an ape? <laughs> an ape, I don't know. I don't know how else to put it, but like I think of the monkey on the typewriter mm. where I'm investing or I'm investing in something that isn't really going to be very... It's just like a bottomless doesn't, pit. Yeah, it doesn't bear fruit. Yeah, it doesn't bear fruit. Yeah, yeah. Not my bag. Um, awesome. Do you have a question? Um, I think it would be appropriate to have a question related to identity because we've been talking about identity this entire time. Hmm. Let's see. Hmm. Identity. It can be more than one if mm-hmm. necessary as well. If you want a multi-part question or something. Okay. Let's see. It's just a question is all I uh, I need. Yes. But you can make yes. five we've, questions. We've easily cleared like four hours so far. So. Really wanted to. <laughs> we really have. It's The time has flown by. 
Yeah, we've almost done four hours. Good conversation. Yeah, it's been fun. Let's see. <laughs> is maybe something like is Fuck. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck. I thought I had a good one and I lost it. Oh shit. All right, all right, all right. Let's see. What are you thinking right now? I can try to stimulate. Okay, so I'm thinking about where 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 what do you have a chosen identity mm. that is different from your like i don't know um the ones that you were born was into. expected of yeah it was ex maybe was expected of is would it be fair to like say it like uh did you turn out differently than how your parents expected you to be do you like that? I like that, yeah. Or your culture, society, or something? That's a fun question. I like that. You can make a second, too, if you want, but whatever you want to do. A, That's a B, solid one. A, B, C to F. Was there anything that you've done to deliberately set yourself apart from what was expected of you? Ooh, I like it. Good All stuff. Right. Awesome. All right. Hedia? Hedia. Hedia? Mm -hmm. Is that right? Awesome. Mm -hmm. uh, it's been great talking. I think we could do many more hours, honestly. And you can come back on anytime. <laughs> i've enjoyed this a lot yeah this is very fun i really enjoy these with people especially people that have at least some thoughts on things because mm -hmm. like i said earlier there's some that don't which is fine but it's nice when actually people have thought out opinions on it's things better when you leave the conversation with more questions than answers yeah <laughs> is that you right now well i'm well more stuff to think about i'll mm. say I, I i have more stuff to think about now mm. i think for sure yeah <laughs> Um, if you want to promote anything, any causes or your personal warm piss in a cup, Instagram or anything like that, uh, yeah, this is the way. space to make it public. <laughs> Maybe don't promote lukewarm piss in a cup, but, <laughs> uh, I do have an art Instagram called, uh, Kxanthic, K-X-A-N-T-H-I-C. And I've, it's been a little while since I've posted because it's been a little while since I've had the time to to draw and paint. But I, I promote I, I I post various art there. I do traditional design, uh, like uh, digital art, 
paintings, different media like that. And I'm also open for commissions if anybody is interested. So Perfect. Yeah, there you go. DM her, everybody. There you go. Come on. <laughs> yes. Make it rain. Make it, make it, yeah, make it rain with all those... Those, uh, those dollars. All of those sexual deviant oh. co- commission art that oh. I'm sure are going to be coming my way as soon as oh. I Oh, why but do you think that's coming your way? Because those are like the best ones. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. Because it's like, <laughs> you're, you, it's like, I really have to fight myself to see the appeal in most of them. Oh. And you have to see the appeal in them in order to make good art. Huh. So interesting yeah it's a so fun, you it's like a fun exercise you like making that type of art no <laughs> no because it challenges you yeah there yeah is that i like making any type of art that challenges me D- just to be clear when i'm making art i'm always trying to do something that i didn't do in a previous piece of art i'm mm-hmm. always trying to be challenged but like that stuff is particularly challenging because it's not like it's not a test of my skill it's a test of my I don't know, um, my um, um, uh, resolve. Oh, interesting. Which is not usually tested for me okay. as an artist. So I'm imagining some um, uh, big titty anime adaptions of famous presidents within the last uh. <laughs> decades coming your way. Uh. How's that sound? That is hysterical. I love <laughs> I'd love to be responsible for that <laughs> type of art being seen by many, many, many lovely human beings on Twitter who happen to follow my page. Be a nice uh, picture in the Fourier, I'd say, <laughs> just right above the fireplace, yeah. maybe. Yeah. Of just, um, oh man, Biden with big old honkers. Bi- Biden summer. <laughs> <laughs> Biden with some big old mommy milkers. Oh yeah. <laughs> Yeah, or or even people who have already died. Why don't yeah, Abe Lincoln. I don't know many presidents. I don't know my history well. Uh, Abe Lincoln. Uh, Babe Lincoln. Babe Lincoln. Lincoln pinup. Babeden. Oh. <laughs> it was Daddy Trump. Daddy Trump. Yeah. Mm, he's got a, some thick thighs. He's, he's... <laughs> You could eat cake off his thighs. God damn it. I got to finish this question. <laughs> <laughs> Try to replay it in my head over and over again. Like, okay. Whoops. <laughs> yeah, we've done like four hours. Almost. Nice. Not quite. I've broken many sweats. Me too. It's way too hot up here. Yeah. Why does it... <laughs> palm sticking to the paper. <laughs> It's been really hot in general. Yeah. I'm going to have to cut this out. <laughs> yes. Uh, you can get up and turn it off. Do you have any final thoughts, I guess, is what I was going to leave to go. you? All right, I'm good. Um, Final thoughts, none that come to mind. I think we covered just about we covered it a lot. Everything. There's still more I think we could cover. Oh, for There's sure. There's tons. For sure. I got to eat, though. Yeah. Yeah, I'm hungry as fuck <laughs> after all that thinking. Anyways. <laughs> um, Hidea? Hidea. Hidea.